Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Tuesday, March 8th, 2023. Thank you for joining me today. I've got a really good show planned for you today. It, it was originally going to be sort of a follow-up on some of the stuff from yesterday's show. And some very interesting things popped up today that I really wanted to cover. And trying to make this shorter in general because I was going to be follow-up. But the more we built out today, I was like, this is a really interesting and important show, as always. But I think you guys are going to find a lot of the stuff we covered today very important. Of course, obviously, January 6th is is consuming the conversation, and rightly so. It's a very important conversation. It has been since the beginning of this manipulation. And I am actually, as much as the point I'm kind of going to make today with a lot of the stuff we're talking about in regard to January 6th, as I do with many of these points, including with COVID-19, and that's not to diminish the other conversation, but the point is that we didn't really need any of this new information to already have understood what this was. That's really important to understand. But that is not in any way to say that what Tucker Carlson was covering was not important. It's actually really as much as I have my concerns and my doubts and my, you know, perspectives on, on how I think the corporate media operates. It doesn't mean that truthful information. It, the point is truthful information will still come out from these platforms on either side. And this is one of those examples, in my opinion. And I think I'm, I'm looking forward to what the episode will be tonight, the one that everyone's really worried about. Both sides of the paradigm have stood up and said, this shouldn't happen. Tells you everything about the illusion that is that two-party paradigm. But we're going to go over the important reality of what this government operation really was and the evidence that's been there from the very beginning that's now being fleshed out even more. And we're going to go through a couple of important follow-ups in regard to dioxins. Apparently, we're having uh, there's examples of people who are receiving shipments of contaminated soil who are doing their own testing for dioxins. This is happening at other locations. It's being given to and still in the EPA is not tested for dioxins in Ohio. I mean, think about how absurd that is. And we're going to get into what they claim they found, which apparently the report says nothing to be worried about. And we'll go into my thoughts on that. We're also going to talk about some COVID-19 information that I think is important at the end, more of the the, la- the last few parts of the show. But the main crux today is going to be on, oh, and, and the follow-up, interestingly, to start on the, the trans drag bill, anti-trans bill, which is not really what it is, as we talked about yesterday to start, and some important stuff to end with COVID in general. But let's get to uh, the just really quickly to show you the show from yesterday in case you want to follow up on that, since it's kind of multiple parts or a continuation of yesterday's work. The Tennessee anti-trans bill, which, again, it's not what it was. It was about specifically adult cabaret, nudity, stripping, adult content, after hours content in front of children. That's it. Very simple, very specifically worded. And yet you still have people that are attacking this as if it's anti Anything other than sexualized content in front of children. It's not even specifically about trans. It's just it's just adult cabaret. That's it. The fact that they're trying to make it into that shows you either that they're not even looking at this information, which means they're dishonest, or they're apparently trying to hide behind their lie to allow adult content and sexualized content in front of children. I mean, you, it, it's very simple. But that the focus is not on this essentially t- or entirely today. Just one quick point. Then there's the independent East Palestine testing con- uh, contradicts the EPA which is very important to the point we're going to make about today that. So if we already have groups from Texas A&M and other locations that have independently tested and found, and both in the soil and the air, by the way, and found in the air, nine chemicals that were already as of a couple days ago, were above the level of what was supposed to be safe. And yet we're going to argue that somehow that the, I mean, just we'll get to it, but the idea that, that there's clearly something wrong 
something happening. And I'm not going to say I'm able to tell you exactly what that level is. But it's very obvious that what independent people are finding is completely contradicting what the EPA is still saying. And now we're going to talk about people in Indianapolis testing for dioxins in the soil being shipped over there. Or actually, no, uh, I, I might have said the state, the location wrong. We'll come back to it. I'll show you when we get there. Just put in front of me not too long before we started the show today, which actually perfectly added to where we're going to go on that part. Uh, and then the lab leak, actually, interestingly enough, I did have one thing I'll say about that to start. And that's the very first thing we'll point out right here. And this is the only part in a follow-up about the lab leak conversation, which is really the, the, the as I called the lab leak last, last resort. Because, tr- I mean, it, it, no matter how you look at this, no matter whether you're on the side of the idea that this was never there at all, and it was a manipulation of combining flu and pneumonia, which is v- very logical, or the argument that there's no such thing as viruses, or the argument that this is a bioweapon, or, you know, or however, it doesn't really matter. I mean, those things matter, but it doesn't matter in the context of whether of, of how this was treated and handled by these entities during before, during and after. And, and the important part here and that my point in that is in regard to the idea that whatever this was, the idea that it was a leak or an accident is just completely inconsistent with any of the data. It, it's just it's absurd. But this is how it's kind of a good overlap for all the things we're going to talk about today. That same kind of manipulation being played where it's just driving in the narrative, which is completely contradictory to the plainly obvious reality. And so here is just one of the important parts, which is apparently breaking the Internet in the context of the lab leak conversation. I'm not even going to play it. You can watch the clip for yourself. You know all of this, though. This is what frustrates me. Vigilant Fox doing a great job points this out. Dr. Robert Redfield says there's no doubt that NIH funded gain of function research. Now, by the way, in my opinion, Redfield is not clean in all of this. So he's kind of setting himself into this as if he's the one exposing something. That's kind of the way this gets played. But then uh, the Miss uh, Mala, Maliotakis says, is it likely that American tax dollars funded gain of function research that created this virus? Now, the interesting point is that question's phrased in an interesting way. First of all, it's undeniable that American tax dollars went toward both gain of function research that we were told was happening, as well as secret gain of function research we weren't told was happening, as well as fun- gain of function research happening well after the fact that it was supposedly no longer happening. All of that is illegal, wrong, dishonest, and none of that seems to matter. But then the point about whether it was specifically then that research, which was used to create the virus. Either way, all these are valid points and questions to ask. Dr. Redfield then said the important part. I think it did. But first of all, the point is this is him saying, I think that, but I, again, it's not even up for debate. Not only from the NIH, but from the State Department, USAID, and from the DOD. Now, what's interesting is this is a really important point, and it's important because it's coming from a congressional hearing, from a a former member, uh, head of the CDC, like these the people that are in authority positions that are, you know, regarded as the science in the right context by people that want to trust somebody. And what he's telling you is that this was funded from every possible angle. This was not just China bad guy. This was everybody. This was China, too, because it was obviously in China in regard to the Wuhan Institute of Virology at the very least. So that's what we're pointing at. Obviously, this is happening everywhere else around the world as well. Other governments doing the same kind of stuff. But the reality being that if the NIH, the State Department, DOD, as everybody was involved with this exact research, which did play, take place there, the material came from North Carolina University in Chapel Hill. We got Equal Health Alliance facilitating the whole thing and speaking on the record about doing exactly these kind of things, working towards coronavirus inducing or myocarditis inducing coronaviruses in the 90s with rabbits. I mean, it's just all pl- it's ridiculous. 
Obviously, there's something fishy going on here. But the real point is this is not new information. We already knew all of this. So that it's coming out now seems, you know, intentionally dripped out. But it doesn't mean it's not important. Because what this ultimately does, as I think plenty of people are pointing out, it kind of destroys the narrative, doesn't it? So for people on the right who want to make this only about China, it's kind of hard to do that with this. But see, the point is we've already been saying this. From the other side of it, I think what's interesting is they're almost trying to act like this is not even real because there's no, that's not a, like this to them creeps into the idea that that then means that all of this was engineered by the government, which is obviously one of the points. But you can't deny the obvious reality of something like this just because it implicates something you don't want to talk about. But that's the kind of dishonest nature we get from all of our government. Anyway, the point being that this is how this has to be addressed if we're even going to get into the conversation about biolab and bioweapon kind of stuff, that it involves all of them. But see, that just doesn't work for people in the two-party paradigm. Now, let's talk about the Tennessee drag bill, anti-trans bill, and all the stuff that's being called. Just a couple quick points before we go to the dioxins, and then the bulk of the show today is going to be on January 6th, which I think is really important. Now, this was what I saw first, and I almost didn't believe it. I thought this this is probably fake, some kind of spam or, you know, uh, parody account. Maryland Democrats seek to prohibit anyone under the age of 25 from being charged with a felon with felony murder. Well, how does that make sense? Well, apparently they're actually arguing that their brains aren't fully developed by 25. Right. Does that make sense? Clearly, clearly these 24 year olds committing murder, their brains aren't even ready to understand what's happening. We can't charge them with murder. But hey, that six-year-old over there completely understands the lifelong choice to alter their sex, right? <laughs> or here, they, they understand the severity of COVID-19, so they are allowed to give their consent. But no, they can't drink alcohol. They can't join the military. They're not even allowed to be charged with murder because they, you get the point. How ridiculous. I mean, like on the surface, like either they're not smart enough to connect these basic dots to realize that what they're saying here completely undermines the argument that otherwise they're all to do. You, I mean, it's, it, I don't even need to explain. I don't get how this kind of thing can be on the surface, but people still follow these kind of people. Now here is just, I had to kind of track this down in regard to the local bill, not difficult, but the local discussions of it in regard to Fox and another local platform. And I found a couple interesting things. Debate continues on bill preventing youth under 25 from facing felony murder charges, March 2nd, 2023. It says, if passed, the bill would prevent anyone under 25 from facing felony murder charges, which, I mean, come on. Not only is that just, I mean, aside from the mental capacity, which is the real point I'm making here, I disagree with that. The idea, though, that somehow that if you can say that in 20, they can't be charged with murder because at 24, their brain's not developed, but somehow they're able to make a lifelong sexual alter, you know, body, body alteration change that can't be taken back when they're young. It's just inherently ridiculous, contradictory, doesn't make sense. But on top of that, the idea that somehow a 24 year old who decides to take someone's life is not able to be charged with murder, or rather just with with uh, felony murder. I mean, the point they make here among the first to respond, Republican delegate Susan McComas of Hartford County said the bill is the definition of insanity. We're going to legalize murder as long as people are under 25. Well, that's a little bit of an overstatement, seeing as how they're still being charged with murder, just not felony murder. But either way, it's kind of correct. Right. I mean, so somebody like let's just say we're talking about gang activity. Then that means basically murder is going to be outsourced to anybody under 25. Hey, you'll get a quick sentence. Right. I mean, that's people will factor in that way. So it's just dumb. I think this is about something else. It probably won't even pass. That's not the point, though. 
The point is about the fact that they're making the argument. Now, here is a, a the article that's citing Baltimore 40 Fox 45, which is this article. Now, I was unable to find the way back machine back to when it was posted. But it's pretty clear that this article has been updated numerous times. And it seems that they've removed this part because I have I do, and I'm going to show you that it's been cited m- multiple places even before this. But here's what it actually said first. Proponents of the bill. And what's interesting, by the way, is I wonder why Fox would remove this from an article that was posted before. It says, and this is citing, and here, here's the tam- same headline, Democrat lawmakers increase bill preventing anyone under 25 from being charged with felony murder. Here's the bill itself. The Youth Accountability and Safety Act. <laughs> Don't you love that? The Youth Accountability, right? The Patriot Act. The count- like, so we're going to remove accountability and we're going to call it the Accountability Act. Don't you love how dumb these things are? Fox 45 Baltimore says proponents of the bill say that the brain, human brain, is not fully formed in the frontal lobes until age 25. Yet, but yet, they're doing other things in, in the General Assembly, letting children vote earlier and earlier, letting them get hormone-inducing drugs that change their sex. Exactly. Like, that's an obvious point to make there. What's interesting, though, is now that's not on the other article. But my point is, however, you can find this example going back a long ways. This is not new. This goes back, at the very least, I was able to find it to 2021. So this has been an ongoing effort, clearly, which is very strange to me. But you can find the the part here, which shows you that this is a conversation. Carter's noted that children do not have fully developed brains and that they they therefore should not be held to the same standards as an adult who commits felony murder. But these very same people will argue they should be able to change their sex when they're children. Just outrageous. Anyway, interesting how far back this goes. Now, here's what I simply said. So if a person under 25 should not be charged with felony murder because their brains are not fully developed, how exactly can a child under 18 consent to having a sex change or a COVID jab? Hypocritical, absurdly hypocritical. Now, I want to make one point about something, a a comment that somebody sent. And I just want to make, I want to try to, I'm I'm, I'm hoping that I'm not being, you know, I mean, there's always going to be somebody who's going to choose to take you out of context or misunderstand you. But it's amazing that from somebody's, like we're all, from, especially even from the right, which I don't know this person's political standing, but the idea that we're, you know, arguably in the, the right of the illusion system, that people are more about freedom and rights and, and, you know, free speech and, you know, all this stuff. But what's interesting is the argument is by normalizing transgenderism that I'm somehow losing moral high ground. But what my argument is, as you guys remember, is that I'm saying I'm not, it's not just about the trans conversation. It's about free choice. You have the right to do what you want with your body. How that's even argued otherwise is blowing my mind. That doesn't matter if you want to cut your hand off or you want to dress and drag or whatever else you want to do. The point is it's your body. I don't know why we could ever even argue otherwise, but what's interesting is then when you talk about the trans conversation, somehow by allowing individuals to make their own individual choices, that becomes somehow normalizing that but i'm not even talking about trans i'm talking about anything but when that person or any conversation or the political discussion becomes well they can talk to your children about it or they can pass policy about it or they can force you to say certain things well obviously that crosses line but the fact that people can't see that difference the nuance there kind of blows my mind unless this is dishonest and i'm just being manipulated which is certainly possible but it says ryan when you normalize transgenderism which again is just people making individual choices. I'm not talking about normalizing the policy, which is constantly what I'm attacking or rather just exposing. He says you immediately lose the moral high ground and the conversation. It has was considered to be a mental illness until 2012. So now we're into personal opinion, right? Which by the way, I agree with in some regard, 
But how about the idea that even if you think these people are mentally ill, why is it your choice to decide what they can and can't do with their body? Same point. And, but then it says, when the APA revised their stance thanks to the communist takeover of the government, see, clearly there's politics involved and the institutionalization of sexual pers- pr- promiscuity and homosexuality. See, this person clearly has an issue with people who are gay, people who are trans, and that makes you a bigot. I'm not saying I, I, I have my own personal opinions about X, Y, and Z, but people are always allowed to make their own choices. If you argue otherwise, then you're just as bad as the people telling you that you need a shot because they've decided it's right for you. Yeah, same thing. But see, you don't want to make that connection. It says when they change the official stance on pedophilia, you see, now we're now we are literally conflating gay people, transgenderism with the idea of pedophilia. Now, look, is there is there in any in any context of people in these in sexual positions? I don't mean positions is a bad term in sexualized scenarios you will have people that have disgusting sexual proclivities that's nor- straight men gay men any it's it, great straight women gay women the bottom line is that when you try to conflate these things and broadly say anybody that is gay or trans they therefore are the same that's ignorance guys now you may disagree with me on whether the, these things should be acceptable or not but the bottom line is if you draw the line where people have the right to make their own choices then you can't start stepping in going but you can't say that it's an absolute but it says, and to be completely normal, will you will you defend their right to practice their sexuality? No, talking about pedophilia, no, because that's a crime, guys. People are allowed to have thoughts in their head as much as I think they're disgusting and wrong. The moment crimes are committed, no matter what we're talking about, that's a problem. People being a certain way, transgender, is not a problem. But if they go out and try to sexualize and influence your children, that's a problem. doesn't matter if they're a man or a woman. Hopefully you get my point. Now, it says you can't base your standards and beliefs on what the world accepts. Is that what I'm doing? That's what he thinks I'm doing. No, I've made these opinions and I've been wildly consistent about this long before this got politicized. But see, the problem is that people want to see it a certain way and then we become the problem. Now, the point in making this whole discussion is just to real. I, I'm, I'm concerned that people are getting driven into being something that they don't realize. Now, I'm not, this, this person, as far as I can tell, is in fact just doesn't it hates these people and doesn't like that i am in fact just saying you can make your own choices and understand that's not even to get into whether or not i feel a certain way about what they're doing that's not my place to even get into that those are personal choices in their life i just think that's so logical and obvious now to go forward onto the dioxin conversation which i think is really important the really important developments in this exact regard in this exact conversation about testing as well as a really important video from this is a clip actually from the Dark Horse podcast where they're really just making the same argument that I had kind of stuff smelled early on in this. I was like, what is what is going on in this? What happened in that 10 day period? Now, these are just theories from them, too. But I'm very interested in where this is going and whether or not what they're talking about here is kind of the main point that either this was an effort to kind of bury or rather the better word is to obfuscate the problem by burning this into a, into something that can blend in with an already large background problem, which we're already kind of, we're, we're discovering as we search and, di- and dissect this dioxin conversation more. I mean, it's the same kind of thing we just talked about about the trains, right? They, like, so all of a sudden we, we start seeing these train crashes and all of a sudden we're, oh my God, there's a train crash every 30, everywhere, every other day we see a train crash. Now, is that because they're all of a sudden happening or are we all of a sudden noticing a problem that they weren't letting us see before? It's probably both, to be quite honest. 
But it's the same kind of thing here is that we're now discovering that there's already a wildly dangerous over I mean, well above the EPA safe standard background level of dioxins in a lot of places in this country. A lot of people didn't know that. I didn't know that until I started diving into this. They've been talking about it for 20 years. Nothing's been done about it, so they clearly don't even care. But now suddenly, suddenly we have this big focus on Ohio with the fact that they created this problem. And now I at least want us to consider whether or not that action was literally taken because they knew that they could kind of blend this into the background, guarantee far less lawsuit, far less. I mean, people are going to be upset, but all it's going to be is these random poor people that can't do anything about it. That is harsh, but that's what I think they're thinking, not that I think. But let's watch this clip and you'll see what I mean. This is actually really important. And I remember, we talked about this really early on about just kind of what else was going on, right? Just theorizing. What else was on the train? What else was happening for 10 days when nobody was talking about this? What was being covered up? Now, there's two parts to this. What he's, what we're going to discuss early here and then a really interesting, just kind of a theory about what might have been on the train coming from, a, a, uh, I believe he's the former editor of the Japan, uh, the Japan Times. And we'll get into it. It's about chemical weapons in Ukraine. It's very interesting. Well, let's watch this first. Right about here. a kind of explosion that you risk when you have a pressurized liquid um, and you have an accident, right? It can cause these very powerful explosions. So, yes, you would, if you were on the ground, you would be worried about this possibility with these cars all topsy-turvy having uh, derailed. But the point is the fact that people could look that up and then start feeling sophisticated for saying it caused them to kind of miss what I suspect is the story here. And that's about the, the, the part he's getting into is the phrasing, the terminology, as we were pointing out, by the way, from the corporate media. Right. It, it wasn't the kind of conflating the explosion with the burn. The point was this was a choice. It was a calculated choice. And they had plenty of time to make other decisions and yet still dumped it directly on the ground still decided to do the one thing that would make this far more of a problem, except the bigger problem wasn't the issue. It's about blending in that problem with something they can't differentiate as opposed to having it a less problem, but far more easy to dissect. Well, I'll let him explain what he's going to say here. And again, this is what we were already talking about. Which is game theoretically, there will be repeatedly incidents where some industrial thing has happened the right thing to do to minimize the amount of harm to human beings is X. But there's some other thing to do that minimizes the legal liability right. while increasing the harm to humans, yeah. right? So one thing that is true... And I would argue, just to understand right when we start, the crux of this issue is that they know on either side of that coin that the government is going to look the other way, right? So why would they then choose to take more of a problem, right? Take more legal liability knowing they're going to get hurt more by it, sued more, attacked more, but then that choice is lessening the problem for the local people. That implies they're good, altruistic people that will do something bad for themselves in order to do the right thing, as opposed to doing the wrong thing, hurting more people, but knowing it will limit the liability because less will take notice of it, and the government allows it either way. I mean, it's just, this is everywhere you look, guys. That's why there's such a problem. We, we are, I mean, you could argue it's been taken over or maybe it's always been this way, but we need to really take a, take a beat and reflect on what these governments are, not just the U S government, but from my perspective, that's what I'm most concerned about right now. Cause that's, I'm a U.S. citizen. That's problematic because this is not unique. This is the calm. This is the usual is by lighting this stuff on fire. They have distributed 
but there's some other thing to do that minimizes the legal liability while increasing the harm to humans, right? right? So one thing that is true is by lighting this stuff on fire, they have distributed, I think they've probably greatly increased the number of cancers and other pathologies that people will get from the same volume of spilled liquid. So first point, by burning that, you've expanded what they'll find. Which is actually a really important point to begin with, because if you like as you just find cancers exploding right in this little area, it's going to be really hard to deny what that is. But if it's all of a sudden all these different chemicals causing all these different things, many of which already have natural backgrounds given much, much more, much lower. But suddenly now, you know, and the point is that all of these things can be conflated and argued. And that's what's happening with COVID, isn't it? No, no, no. That's being caused by COVID. No, that's being caused by the flu. No, that's being caused by a lack of lack, lack of health care. Right. Despite evidence proving that they're being caused by no, no debate, debate, debate. That's how this works. They've distributed I think that's it. part of the yeah, evolutionary and ecological answer. Yeah. They've distributed it over a much bigger area, which means that it will be much harder to find. In other words, if you had a sky high cancer rate in Palestine, Ohio, then the answer is, oh, yeah, it was that spill. Yeah, there's no three mile island. R- right. And so. Yeah. Or, it, yeah, it's. So I believe the question is, you Mm -hmm. always will have industry looking for a mechanism once it has caused its own legal liability to distribute the harms so that they are harder to spot and prove. Mm -hmm. And I believe that there are several examples of this that we've seen in recent history. One of them being the Deepwater Horizon accident, where you will recall there was a chemical that none of us had heard of until the accident called Corexit that the oil companies had... This st- long before Brexit. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, they had stored this chemical. So somehow the industry had been sold this chemical that would deal in some way with a oil spill Oh, on it just water. dispersed it all into little tiny droplets. Yeah, the- do, you, do you remember that? I mean, and what's really interesting about this topic is that so we're talking about something that was decided without you being in the conversation that this was going to be used without clearly without having large scale testing. Right. Just using it. And suddenly and or, or rather, you could argue that maybe they did, but didn't care that it wasn't a environmentally sound solution. It was rather a solution for minimizing liability and financial problems. Right. And so that's probably what the whole point was. And so all it really did was kind of just make it a much larger problem, but it make the, the, he's making the exact point, right? I mean, this is a corporate level. I mean, look, there's no way that's even possible without the government looking the other way. This is what we need to see in every one of these examples. And we've already talked about many of them. Exxon, you know, I mean, Fukushima. I mean, I think he mentions Fukushima in this. There's a lot of examples of how governments have downplayed the problem simply because they're trying to avoid accountability while it while it while not just it's not even just ignoring it and letting it be a problem but taking action that exacerbates that very problem so to make it harder to understand this is the normal the usual gulf of mexico it it sank the oil so in Uh some ways the disaster was less horrible than it might be because you didn't have as many pictures of greasy birds but it's still like the floor of the gulf of mexico like right so the environmental problem was worse but it didn't look as bad like i don't know how deep it is there but like the abyssal zone or whatever is just coated in you can be pretty damn sure what they didn't do is figure out that the net harm was lower for using this thing what they found out was hey actually we can sink your oil for you and then the lawsuits you'll face will be a fraction of what you'd face otherwise okay 
well, there, here we are in the public suffering whatever harms that is, yeah. you know, uh, you know, how's your shellfish from the Gulf of Mexico tasting, right? Right, right. And what, and remind me, what happened to them, right? Would somebody go to jail? Of course not. Mm-hmm. And then there's another case where during the Fukushima cleanup, um, the Japanese government played a couple of different games. One game was it had a standard for how much radioactivity meant you couldn't burn waste, right? Very reasonable standard to have. And in this point, consider what we're going to get into in a part about the EPA and the testing and whether or not what they're testing for and what they're finding is above what they consider to be the acceptable level. I mean, same, I, I, same thing we're talking about with these injection conversations where there are arbitrary levels. You know, oh, it doesn't count if it's in the first 14 days. These are the games that get played with statistics, with, with, not with, with the reports. And so in these, we've seen examples like this where they, where they create these weird processes which allow them to manipulate it. And that's what I believe is, is I, I, I'd rather, I would put it this way. I want us to ask whether that might be what's happening in Ohio right now. Now, this is not chemical contamination. This is radioactive particles that are not in any way um, rendered less radioactive by burning them. They're just dispersed. Right. So what the Japanese government did was it added material to waste that was too radioactive to burn in order to get it below the standard that would then allow them to burn it, which is insane. All that does... went up. And then which way are the winds going? Did we get it on the west coast of the U.S. or did it go into Asia? Where did it go? They trucked it around Japan, as I recall. No, the, 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 the burn, yeah. right? It went everywhere. I don't know that. I don't know whether that plume <laughs> reached us. Lots yeah. of stuff from Fukushima did reach us here mm-hmm. on the west coast, especially the Pacific Northwest. Um, but the trucking of the material around Japan means that the provability of the harms will go down later. This is the original, you and I talked at one point on an early live stream about monkeying with the baseline. Right. And so ultimately, I mean, I really want us to take a step back generally and think about whether or not this is, you know, I mean, like the reality being that we've either, I'm concerned whether or not this is them pointing at something like this on a large scale. You know, the train crashes, the chemical problems, the background, the oxygen levels, all to justify some kind of solution. We always should think like that. That being possible all the time, we, sh- it's, it's, we need to stand back and realize how alarming this is. That this is, we are stepping into a realization that this is not some single problem. And I don't know why we ever, th- I mean... People like us, T-Lab and other independents have been trying to call attention to this kind of problem. The water problem, the, you know, the, the, the fluoride problem, all these different things. Glyphosate and aluminum, barium. And, and the problem, the point is all that's happening. But we, the, the industrial pollution, the things like this, the burnings, the, the plants that put off the, all these things have been poisoning us at levels that we are barely just now beginning to understand that have been here for 20 plus years. They know that they've been studying it and apparently don't even care to change that. What does that even mean? other than they don't care about you, right? So that's the kind of thing, and again, ask whether or not this is a means to an end, and maybe that's only just now why it's being pointed at and been allowed this whole time, sort of like the train infrastructure, right? I don't know. That's a valid question. Regardless, it's clearly still happening. We're clearly still in a situation where 
lack of government oversight, whether we should want that or not, or the companies that they're pretending are allowed to operate a certain way because the EPA insurers X, Y, and Z have clearly not done their supposed job because it's worse than it's ever been. And we'll all go into some studies on top of what we just talked about, showing you that we've just background levels in food and, and soil have been well over safe EPA levels for as far as you can look back. How, how, in the, how in the world do you pretend that's an environmental protection agency when they didn't even tell you about that until we're finding that out today? Yeah. And the idea was this will drive up the baseline of cancers elsewhere, making whatever increase happens in Fukushima prefecture, prefecture that much harder to see right. because the background elsewhere is artificially elevated. And that's the point about yeah. potentially burning this to, 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 for the massive spread, whether we're talking vinyl chloride or whatever it actually was, potentially we'll get into next, or the dioxin byproduct or, you know, the phosgene, which is the next point as well. And whether these things will, you know, massively expand the, the area in which this cancer problem begins to appear. And then it goes, well, you know, clearly we, we have a one mile radius and this is going for 30 miles. So it's definitely not the Ohio crash. Why? Well, because they set that arbitrary one mile area. And there you go. Done and done. It's not it's, dumb. It's not a lack of cleverness on Mm-mm, their part. No. But anyway, so I, what I would say is I fear that what happened in Palestine, Ohio, is the result of business having gotten wise to the fact that one way to deal with its liability problem is to um, distribute the harms over a larger population so they're harder to prove. Mm-hmm. Now, Think about kind of a same a good analogy in that is like Wall's uh, uh, banks, but specifically Wells Fargo, clearly understanding how this works and just earmarking a billion dollars for fines and just continuing to break the law. I mean, I I, I mean, I'm kind of joking. I, I mean, I, you tell me in the chat how many times have we actually covered? I can think of at least six or seven different examples of Wells Fargo being literally caught for creating fake accounts for its for its uh, for its customers re see uh, repossessing cars of veterans because they gave them false policies like literal crimes like actually faking information to steal money from people and they go oh, here's a fine for a million dollars trump trump gave him the biggest fine it was a billion dollars remember that biggest fine in history did anybody go to jail no so the point is they've already understand that's called the cost of doing business so they know the government gets their cut we're good it's a criminal enterprise. What continues to happen is Wall, Wall Street, well, yes, but Wall, Wells Fargo continues to break the law because that's how that works. And here's what he's talking about, right? They understand. Business understands the cues. It's just, it's just very frustrating that it's this obvious and people, some people don't want to see it. Now, here is something we just talked about. I'm not going to go over it again in depth, but just to reiterate this for the next point, this was something we talked about in the last show. Again, if you want to watch it, it's right here. And there's a lot more around dioxins over the last so many shows. Go to our TLAB Substack. Check it out, tlabagabond.substack.com. I believe Scott's going to do a new kind of wrap-up about this part of it, this, this part right here. But this is long-range air transport of dioxin from North American sources to ecologically vulnerable receptors in, in uh, New Nevat, Arctic, Canada. The bottom line here is that we're talking about something in the Arctic and the report. I'll just read you directly from what it says. It says the data generated by this project directly support the conclusion that the known occurrence of dioxin in this Arctic Inuit town in the indigenous population, in the regional food chains, in the marine and the terrestrial ecosystems is due to the the depositing of 
airborne toxin transported this deposition. I just, the word sounds funny. Dep the deposition of airborne toxin dioxin transported from distant sources, which are chiefly the United States. The other two were Canada and Mexico, but the United States is almost double the nearest Mexico, which was the closest problem, the closest rel uh, comparison. By far, the United States is producing dioxins that are not just a problem. I mean, think about what the problem is directly around the area is producing these. The point is because of the wind, because of the, um, here's what it says, I think. I don't want to try to find it. It'll take me a second. But you can read the report. Look at the last show we just did. The point is, it's, it makes it very clear that we're talking about the prevailing winds and the and the currents of air that may, that bring these things from the United States. Right there, perfect. Over long, they they they're transported over long distances by the prevailing air currents. We're talking about from the from the United States to the Arctic dioxins being sent from following air currents all the way there to the point to where the report literally discusses how Inuit local population's breast milk is contaminated with dioxins well past the safe level. I just talked about this yesterday. Think about how wild that is. Now, and this is, again, discussing dioxin. We don't, I guess we haven't proven that that is literally a problem in Ohio. I think we've gone over enough evidence to suggest it's clearly likely and that they should have been testing this entire time. But think about how crazy that is if we're talking about a product that was burned. And the question should be, again, whether that was what was burned, because that's something we're going to do next, which would argue something else. But if it was, which is what they said it was, it's a no brainer that dioxins were created. And if we know it can travel thousands of miles, according to CNN from 1995, this is a big deal. And it was before. That was my point about this when I covered it from the very beginning. It says, in sum, the results of this project confirm that the atmospheric ecological processes that carry airborne dioxin from its numerous sources through terrestrial marine food chains to human beings, it's in the fat, it bioaccumulates in your body, and so on, is a problem of continental, if not global, dimensions. And they're basically saying, we must remediate this, and nothing happened. Of course, because the U.S. government's not going to change its practices. So Deborah... Uh, I'm not I'm trying to pronounce her last name, but Deborah shared this with me. Thank you. And this is the breastfeeding toxins info I thought was very interesting. And this is specifically about baby formula in general, or rather specifically breast milk. Now, there's two things that I want to talk about in this. But again, the point with this is to show you that. Or let me just do this so I can show you exactly that point. Right there. Now, it says, although there were no significant sources of dioxin in the Nunavut town, or even within 500 kilometers, for those out in the United States, that's more than 500 miles. Even within 500 kilometers of its borders. So not even a 500 kilometer close dioxin source. Dioxin concentrations in the Inuit mother's milk are twice the levels observed in Quebec. That's happening despite there even being dioxins created in the area. That's coming all the way from the United States predominantly. Secondarily, Mexico and after that, Canada. That's crazy. So the point is, going to this, thank you, Deborah, for pointing this out. And here's the EPA's Knowingly Ignoring Dioxins art, article, your other show you can watch. Here is what she showed. This is called Toxins in Breast Milk and Those in Formula or Cow's Milk from the pub, uh, Pollution Action. Now, what's really interesting about this is there's been a long-term effort to kind of like undermine breastfeeding, which, by the way, is paramount. I mean, I'm not going to get into it, but it's just absolutely there's so much that doesn't happen if you don't immediately breastfeed with a baby, a newborn baby. There are like, 
what's the right word for it? It would be not anthropological, I guess. I don't know. You guys tell the point is that there are lots of as a as a newborn baby, there are processes that are create like like uh, bonding processes or or like one of them is with the breast milk or rather the 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 uh, God, I'm blanking all the terms. I used to I, I've talked about this a long time ago. The point is that that breastfeeding is important for the connection between the mother and the baby, as well as health and all sorts of other things. And they've been really trying to push and even Bill Gates and his fake milk and all this stuff trying to push fake formula. Or just formula in general. In fact, there were U.S. Art law, uh, U.S. Um, foreign policy efforts that were trying to force foreign countries to use their formula instead of breast milk, acting like it was dangerous. And I think here is where they're kind of stemming this from. Now, all that aside, the argument shouldn't be that we should change to formula because breast milk is dangerous. It should be we need to stop the government from allowing pollution that's causing breast milk to be a problem. Like that should, that's where we should be talking about this. And that's what this gets into. It's talking about the dioxin levels in just women's breast milk. Now, again, the larger point here is that this is a problem. Whether or not Ohio is what we're discussing, whether dioxins were created, we're starting to find out that dioxin background problem is just wildly obvious, and they've known about it forever, and I guess because they can't do anything about it or know how to deal with it, they just don't do anything about it. And that's kind of that's kind of generally pulling from people like Capolino and these different arguments they've made, the experts, about this topic from before. So it's interesting to see how this is playing out. Now, is this by design? C certainly something we should ask. Truly, I just think it's because just incompetence and malfeasance and allowing this to continue to get so bad that now just breast milk in general becomes a problem. Now, here's what it says. The EPA, and again, the larger point being that we have this kind of background level and think about that in the context of what was maybe chosen to be burned, knowing it would create that, knowing that it would blend in with something like this. The EPA has determined that the reasonably safe upper threshold of daily exposure, and this is interesting, we just talked about this, to the neurodevelopmental toxin and carcinogen dioxin is 0.7. This is important for the next thing we're going to get into as well. And remember, the TEQ is the is the equivalence. And regard that's in regard to the worst possible dioxin, which is the TCDD, to the least problematic, all of which are very dangerous. But the TCDD, which according to the experts, is the one we're actually potentially dealing with here in Ohio, they're saying the, the point being that that's what the TEQ is about. It's kind of like the equivalence factor between all of them. And the point is relatively TEQ for kilogram per day. The what they're saying is the safe upper threshold of that number is 0.7 kilograms, a toxic equivalency per kilogram of body weight per day is what it stands for. And that's the TEQ slash KG, or well, actually including the PG. It's this whole thing right there. <laughs> so the bottom line is 0.7 PG. I think that's really important. And that it's, that's specifically in regard to, uh, where does it say it right here? I, it's, I, thought, par, I thought it said parts per billion. Anyway, I'll just read through it. I'm pretty sure it's in there. But remember the number 0.7 PG to EQ kilogram per day. Because this comes into a point where we're finding testing being done. And guess what number they find? Even though they argue it's not dangerous. But the point is it says the body weight based dose re received by an apparently typical Breastfeeding U.S. infant at initiation of nursing was found to be more than 300, 300 times the estimated safe exposure. 242 PG TEQ. 0.7 being the upper threshold of the safe level. And they're finding 300 times that in just general breastfeeding. 
how is it possible that we don't know about this? Because the media doesn't care, or rather the government doesn't care, and the government controls what media tells you. How, I mean, how else do you explain this? Confirmation of that range of exposure, bearing in mind the known decline in dachshund dose in breast milk as women's stored concentrations are excreted in her milk, basically just meaning that as they breastfeed, the dachshunds then come out, right? Because it's just being, it, and then they will, the concentrations diminish in their body, but pass over to the baby, is indicated by a figure quoted in the British Medical Journal publication of 170 PG at two months after birth. Other UK data showed a mean, an average of 41 PG at five to six months, but they referred to a Dutch study that found levels two to five times as high. It's everywhere, all around the world. The other readily found studies of this infant exposure conducted in Germany, Korea, Netherlands, Czech Republic, France, Greece, Japan, China, and Slovakia, and all of them published in the 2000s arrived at similar figures. The major upward deviation was in Japan, where a large part of the figures were even higher than the general range. In Poland, the exposure was lower than the general range, but still 17 times higher in breast milk than in infant formula. Now, that's an interesting point right there that actually covers in this article about how you'll find lower ranges in just general body accumulation, but specifically breast milk seems to be the problem because of the breast milk, the fat in the milk. Known exposures of breastfed infants to mercury on just another angle here are several times higher than the maximum level allowed by the U.S. law in bottled water. How, I mean, obviously it's, no one's asking them to regulate women's breastfeeding or breast milk, but the fact that they know this is a problem and just seemingly don't do anything about it, they know that they're pollution. I mean, look, we just talked about this random town as like a focal point in the Arctic, having wild, pro, like a, a, no dioxin production anywhere around them or byproducts, and they're the bulk of the problem because of the way the winds kind of collect around this area. So they clearly know this is a problem from a long time ago. And I guess, I mean, I, I can't help but see how this might be used to benefit their agenda, but I mean, it's just a thought. But it said, and then mercury too. Now it says exposure of breastfed infants to the uh, the PD, PBDEs, I don't know it's hard to say for some reason, which have been increasing in human milk, especially rapidly in recent decades, are also far above the EPA's established safe level. What in the hell does the EPA do then? What are they doing? PCBs are present in human breast milk at about 20 times the level allowed in public water supplies in the U.S. Another strongly suspected neurodevelopmental toxin has been found in breast milk in concentrations greatly exceeding limit for the chemical set by the state of California. Did you hear that on CNN or Fox News? <laughs> I mean, this is just, it just kind of like doesn't even surprise me anymore. This is why we're all sickly and getting cancer. And, you know, like, I wonder how long we would live if the government wasn't actively poisoning us all the time. Duration of breastfeeding has been found to be a significant predicator of child PCB levels, even at age 14. Now, the reason this is important is because what we're point, what this is ex explaining is that at, a four, at 14 years old, the amount of dioxins that you took from your mother while breastfeeding is still relevant. At 14 years old, duration of breastfeeding has been found to be a significant predicator of the levels they find in children, even when they're for, at age 14. It says 30% higher PCB levels were found among breastfed than among non-breastfed youths at age 10 to 17. So the point is they test them at 10 to 17, and if they were breastfed, they find about a 30% higher level of exactly the dioxin problem we're talking about. I mean, think about how crazy that is. 
It says dioxins were even more persistent than PCBs, or excuse me, the PCBs were the first part. They're saying dioxins were even more severe, as indicated by the following. In a 2011 study by 13 scientists, it was determined that at ages 18 to 26, average dioxin concentrations were still twice as high in the breastfed young men as those who had been fed formula. So 26 years old, if you were breastfed in apparently areas that are problematic for dioxins or seemingly the whole world, then you have on average twice as much dioxin in your body than somebody who was breast. I mean, that, so we're not worried about this lasting problem at 26 years old because of low levels of breast milk problem. Think about what's happening in areas where that just happened potentially in Ohio. What is that going to do? to the long-term problems of people around the area or however far that went. I mean, these are such obvious questions. I just, it, I just, that really blows my mind. But you'll find that, re- you re- should read this whole thing. It is shocking. And you won't find it any conversations about this in any corporate discussion. Again, thank you to Deborah for pointing this out. Now, here's an interesting part about this. Here's the governor of, uh, it was Indiana. So I think I said Indianapolis. The Indiana testing for this now what's interesting is this is being tested for as they receive soil and waste from ohio so this governor understands he should be testing for dioxin so he understands how to process this what they got sent to him in these waste disposal areas so obviously they all know what's going on but yet the epa at least hasn't told us they tested for dioxins in ohio how much you want to bet they've already done that and they probably did it immediately and it's a problem That'd be my guess. It says Pace Labs has completed and and shared the full results of their third party dioxin testing. So obviously the point to point out is we the third party could be compromised. They could be lying. That's always possible. I have no evidence to suggest that just yet. I had ordered and expedited last week. Initial samples were taken on Saturday morning, March 4th. And testing began that same day. At their Minneapolis laboratory, March 4th, February 3rd. These results indicate that the material tested does not contain any harmful levels of dioxins when compared to acceptable levels established by the EPA. Okay. Well, seeing as how the EPA doesn't even want to tell you about this already pre-existing background problem, and nobody's ever told us this about breast milk or the air or the water or the fast food or God knows what else. Actually, let me see if I can pull that up real quick. at that this is the one from 1995 this is the point we were just making this goes back to 1995 and before about the 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 the, the accumulation of dioxins in the food in the food chain back then and guess what they found when they tested the fast food hamburgers chickens and pizza it says i'll try to find the number hold on this will help us read it. He says, from reading what you found, the fast food, chicken and pizzas are already higher than what the EPA says is safe in 1995. He says, right. That was a surprise to us when we looked at all the data. And he says, this looks like it's, that's weird. This almost looks changed. Hold on a second. That That's crazy. This this is different. Damn it, I don't I don't have the time to go back. I mean, there's a, we went over the numbers last time. It was five to five to a hundred, remember? It says 
Oh, okay, it's right there. I was going to say, man, but this does look different to me. There's more in this sentence right here. Anyway, it says they gave about 8 to 150 times more dioxins than the EPA feels would be safe. In 1995, in some cases, 150 times the acceptable level of dioxins in the food you're giving your children. And they go on to point out how it definitely affects pregnant women and children and, you know, memory and, I mean, that's crazy. So the point is, when compared to acceptable levels, or what are they comparing it to? The, the established background level that's already there? Well, that's what everyone already talks about. That's what people in the expert fields have been telling us, that when they do this testing, what they're doing is comparing it to a baseline. Remember their point in the beginning they said when the reason they weren't testing is because, well, they've got no baseline to compare it to. Of course they do. They already know what the safe or not safe levels are or what they tell you those are. So they had that. I think that was an interesting admission there. Ad- admission, if we're talking about a baseline, and we know that we're already seeing that that baseline level is problematic, potentially 150 times higher than it should be. And if they're testing that and testing that, what do you think they're going to find? Now, I'm, I'm just saying these, these are my thoughts. According to this governor, the EPA says that it's not it's it's acceptable compared to established levels. Furthermore, these results demonstrate that the site operator is lawfully permitted to dispose of the material at its site, which is interesting. So if it had higher levels of dioxins, would they not be able to? It's just an interesting point. We have informed the EPA and the site operator of these testing results. We we will have PACE labs continue to test samples of any future loads that may arrive in Indiana from East Palestine to confirm that none of the material contains harmful levels of dioxins. And here's the results. Okay, I mean, I just, I, I don't feel good about this testing based on everything else we've seen. But that doesn't mean, I mean, maybe Dachshund, it maybe there's, there, maybe there's something we're not being told. Maybe there's a lie from the beginning of all this. Maybe there's more, I mean, maybe it's just simply not a problem. Those are all, always been possible. But none of this adds up with what people are dealing with. As they tell them, no, the air is safe. No, the water is safe. No, there's no problem. That's what we're being told right now. Here's Indiana Department of Environmental Management. And this is where we're getting the information from and the resulting samples. It's the same point. Just saying, well, no, we've, we've got no problems. And this is coming from, again, Pace Labs, ordered by governors, by the governor. And the point is dioxins form when chlorine-based chemicals like vinyl chloride are burned and can settle into the soil, which, of course, they knew when they started all this. And yet it only took, in, it took until now for it to actually happen. Why? Here's what they posted. Department of Environmental Management, Indianapolis. Oh, I guess so it is Indianapolis. Okay, so the point is March 8th, 2023. Uh, where is it? A- a- analytical results for Ohio de- derailment waste soil samples. Thank Doom sent this to me. Thank you for that. Now it's saying the section reviewed the analytical tests results for the samples identified above according to the quality criteria contained in the laboratory services. And it's saying the purpose of this event was to sample waste soil for dioxins to determine if acceptable for disposal. So again, the first point is that we have places that are being shipped to that are testing for this. So there's already an open conversation that they're not having with you, but apparently they're not doing that in Ohio. How does that even make sense to anybody? And what they're testing for, first and foremost, is TCDD, of course, which we've been telling you. Now, that's just the, the and again, we're talking about the same point over here, Parts per mil, parts per billion micrograms, kilogram, the same discussion we were just having. Now, the conclusions, of course, based on technical review, chemistry services section determined that the total PCDD and PCDF results for the collected samples are suitable for determining disposal. What I find interesting, though, 
if we're if we're talking about it says results for the following total PCDD and PCDF groups were reported in the attached table. So it does list TCDD. I'm just wondering whether or not these things are, you know, overlooking potentially like one that would be the problem. That's something to ask. But it's saying that determine that the total PCDD and PCDF results for the collected samples were are suitable for determining disposal. Not even sure what that means. If it's suitable, that is it present? Is it not? It says none of these results exceeded. And again, so the bottom line is that means it is there, which is pretty obvious if it's already kind of everywhere, right? None of these results exceeded the standards. I don't like that word, which indicates that the material tested does not contain any harmful levels of dioxins and furans compared to acceptable levels as established by the EPA. I mean, think about that sentence right there. None of the results exceeded the standards, first of all, which indicate that the material tested does not contain harmful levels of dioxins compared to acceptable levels that established by the EPA. There's so many weird overlaps there. So first of all, they have a standard, and that standard indicates the, the, the level from being tested of dioxins, which they've accepted, they've established by comparing it to acceptable levels, which whatever they've established acceptable, I don't believe in, seeing as how they're not telling you this other problem, but that's also then compared to background levels, which we already know are high. And it says, and therefore appear, appear suitable. I just, I mean, everything about this does not ring, does not make me feel good about it. But here's the point that I think is interesting. So we're talking about Right here, same point. Parts per billion, UG, so micro, microgram, kilogram, right? Now, what did we just read over here? That what they're telling us is that the acceptable level, according to the EPA, or rather the reasonably safe upper threshold, the high, is 0.7 kilogram per day, right? So here is what they found. Of the worst one, TCDD, 0.17, and 0.2. But then we have the ones, and now understanding that the the level, this is what this times level means, this 10 times units. And you can see that these ones are 25, 50. Remember the breakdown of the TEQ, the equivalency, where we have other problems, TCDF and PCDD, which are also very, very problematic, which are clearly above that number. If we're talking about, come on, zoom out. There we go. Dang it. There we go. If we're talking about in this discussion, not just TCDD, right? We're talking about a general dioxin conversation of the higher level dioxins, which is what the TEQ is discussing. And those are the ones at the high level, the one comparatively to one to TCDD. Now, if you don't understand what I'm talking about, we went over this in a previous show where they break down the comparisons between the different dioxins. So as far as I'm concerned, these are too high. If you're talking about the same comparative number and in the waste soil compared to different levels and even different levels, I mean, you got 1.5 right there. Now, this may not seem concerning to anybody in regard to the number, like it, because they're telling you that it's low and, is, and we're talking parts per billion. But don't forget the parts per billion that we discussed for the EPA's general level in regard to docs was, was one part per billion. So if these are already 1.5, then I mean, right there, we're over these numbers because these are the same equivalency. But the bottom line is that this is clearly there, which is kind of what we we're talking about before. So there's this pre-date, this pre-background level. Now, was that because it was already there or is what we're looking at because of what happened? There's your answer to what we were just saying before. Guess what? Uh, we don't know. So even if you want to argue the dioxin level is not actually dangerous, it still matters that they've contaminated the area even to a low level problem. 
But they won't have to do anything about that because they're going to argue that's standard. Why? Well, because they've accepted this already as a standard background level. That's problematic. In any case, I think this is interesting to see that it all kind of stems back to the EPA, their standard levels, the third parties, they're hiring the test, and whether or not all of it's being lied to anyway. Just questions we should ask, especially as we're watching people still get sick, still get the telltale signs of dioxin poisoning. Now, the other thing to get into was a really interesting article written by uh, Yochi Sh- uh, Shimatsu. I believe it was the, the I believe this is the uh, former editor of the Japan Times writing for Rents, Rents.com. Now, this is an interesting article in general. I hope it's still, yes, it's still highlighted. Okay, so this is an interesting article in general. There's a lot of personal political opinion, a lot of subjective statement. Regardless, this is, this is a person who's been you know, doing this a long time, who's writing about what they perceive this to be. Now, I just think we should take it for as a, as a theory. And I, I do find this to be very interesting, though, and it does go over the chemistry and the information around why, if we're finding phosgene in these burned, you know, in the burned substance after burning what was on the ground, what he's arguing is that indicates that it wasn't vinyl chloride. In fact, that it indicates that it was something more dangerous, something potentially being used as a weapon. And maybe that's exactly why this was kept quiet for 10 days until after they had burned and gotten rid of it. Just something to consider. Chemical weaponry destined for Ukraine, that's his opinion, ignited an East Palestine train wreck. Now it says the bipartisan shunning of the fears of regional residents along with the heavy-handed mainstream media cover-up indicated the train derailment involves a national security issue and official secrets. This analytical article aided by citizen reporting from the Ohio-Pennsylvania border region exposes in, j- in detail the reasons for an illegal unregistered nighttime shipment of what he thinks are chemical weapons, precur- chemical weapons precursors as the cause of the near-explosive overheating of, a tank- of tanker cars and the use of an elongated burn pit from whence the ominous column of black smoke arose from the toxic fumes. Flames. Contrary to official denials and disinformation about their chemical content, the actual payload was disclosed by the EPA detection of phosgene, which we've already discussed, in the black cloud over East Palestine, which was was definitely found. What he's arguing is that that is indicative of something other than vinyl chloride. He's saying phosgene was infamously used for chlorine warfare, a.k.a. mustard gas, in France and Belgium during the First World War. Since, Since it is not a byproduct of vinyl chloride, which contains only one chloride molecule, the actual precursor inside those tankers was a more dangerous chemical bonded with double the amount of chloride, just like phosgene. Now, just under the category of fact checkers and falsehood, he says the high-level political felons have been downplaying the near-apocalyptic risks of open-air disposal by toxic chemical burning at East Palestine, a township of 1,300 households without any political clout or sufficient financial resources to pursue their lawsuit or achieve justice. The, and now, I mean, I mean, think about it. If this had crashed in some high, rich, you know, high level, very rich area, we can almost we can almost promise this would have been handled differently. The actual chemical composition of that liquid cargo was misidentified in a chemical, a criminal cover-up, according to this writer, obviously for reasons of a planned covert military and intelligence operation in blatant violation of International Chemical Weapons Treaty against the manufacturer, storage deployment, and use of lethal chemicals in warfare or domestic turmoil. Now, remember, the dioxin part of this, not necessarily connected with what he's saying, has already been discussed how it's been used in the past to try to assassinate a Ukrainian leader. This, this is on the record. 2004, I believe. 
And this was specifically using dioxins to try to assassinate him as a chemical weapon. So the idea that this is something that might be what, you know, let's put it that the U.S. government would be trying to send something to Ukraine for these purposes. It perfectly aligns with their past actions. But again, this is just a theory. It's backed up by his arguments and, and what he and it makes sense. He says there is sufficient evidence. Even at this early stage for those gas targeted nations in a false flag operation, including Poland, Belarus, Russia and Ukraine to initiate a case at the Hague war crimes tribunal against the Biden administration for planning crimes against humanity with scheduled deployment of a banned chemical weapon in a false flag operation. He says the only possible reason for transporting that large amount of poison gas, assuming that's what we're talking about, approximately 1,700 gallons, 17,000, excuse me, in an eastward direction toward a military test range and onto an Atlantic port was, in his opinion, to perpetuate a false flag operation against an enemy or enemy states. And in this particular case, against a victimized allied nation, Ukraine. Hence the false flag. Given the present morass in Eastern Europe, the last card in the CIA's deck is to fake a Russian chemical attack against Ukrainians and more pointedly targeting Poland for the precise purpose of inciting the NATO alliance to declare an all out war against Russian Belarus. Now, I mean, look, whether you believe this is what's happening, obviously, this makes sense with what we've seen these entities do in the past. And that, that applies to all these governments, by the way. Tellingly, President Joe Biden has since made a secretive visit to Kiev two weeks after East Palestine just disaster. Now, this is an interesting point. This is exactly what happened. So if the argument is that the the government, not just Biden's administration, but in this point, this is the administration in power, but the government was shipping some sort of, you know, chemical compounds to be used for chemical weapons. And it somehow got derailed, whether that was by some active action to stop that by people that knew what was happening or whether it was just a random occurrence because of their own decrepit infrastructure by design. That maybe this was something that was stopped. And then Biden went to visit Kiev immediately after to say, well, this isn't going to come anymore. It's certainly something to consider. Now, whether it would be Biden that would go, you know, these are questions to ask, but this is just the theory. The source of the cargo in Mad- in the source of the cargo in Mad- was go- it was going to Madison, Illinois, was a shutdown uranium rod production facility in the infamous Dow Chemical Company. Interestingly enough, of Agent Orange notoriety, which also is a dioxin. That's the- that is the dioxin point. Agent Orange is TCDD. That's the point. More recently, operating under the cover name of Spectrolite. Since the mid-1990s, the radioactive site located across the Mississippi River from St. Louis, St. Louis has been under a cleanup toxic contaminant, contaminant effort by the EPA, which has resisted designating the, the huge mess as a permanent hazardous waste dump. The chlorine-based compound inside the five suspect tanker cars was falsely described by the EPA and Norfolk Rail as vinyl chloride. Now, remember in the beginning, there was all this weird confusion about what was actually on the trains. They had this new system set up to be able to immediately have first responders know what was on the trains, and weirdly enough, they didn't have any information. Well, this seems to add up. There was some. This is why in the beginning we were going, what else is going on? The way this was being done, the 10 days with no conversation, the active, the quiet action, the EPA acting like they were involved while they weren't, but then they are. But they, everything about this is wildly suspicious. And the fact that we do, in fact, know that they, the, what was it? The, I'm trying to remember the name of the system. Was supposed to be digitally run. It was inputted from the before they left, and all this different stuff. And the point is that these people had no idea what was going on when it happened. That either means that they're breaking the law, or there was an active national security idea about not letting this be discussed on this, you know, this system where the first responders would be able to know what was on the train. 
The logical question that rears it up is, he says, where was that legal cargo going to be delivered? Lethal cargo, excuse me. The Norfolk Southern destination was just across state lines in Conway, Pennsylvania, located in Beaver County, adjoining East Palestine's Columbiana County. But that in Columbiana County, again, was where the the uh, executive director, Teresa McGuire, we spoke to is at, at the Humane Society there. We talked with the animals and all the problems. Just to remember that point where she told us that animals were being tested and diagnosed with poisoning. It says, but that was not the end of the journey. The Conway Rail Yard, operated by Norfolk Southern for more than a century, is a massive switching facility, the largest in the USA until the 1980s. Conway adjoins the Ohio River and therefore has no major chemical plant or waste disposal facility to accept tankers with a 30,000-gallon capacity. Therefore, it is safe to conclude that the suspect five tankers, along with several other chemical haulers, were at the rear of the train for the purpose of decoupling and route transfer toward a completely different direction from the boxcars filled with a food with foodstuffs from the upper Mississippi region heading to warehouses near major eastern cities. He says, since the Madison, Illinois site was a large-scale EPA holding center in an elbow of the Mississippi shoreline, it would have made zero sense to move the sensitive cargo hundreds of miles to a densely populated region located a mere 25 miles from Pittsburgh which is not a center of the chemicals industry. Nowadays, hazardous chemical plants are located by the sea in event of major spillage, mostly along the Gulf Coast. There are no alternative narratives other than the obvious usual suspects, in his opinion. Thus, the unmarked tank toxic tanker cars, which we were talking about, were obviously bound for the Edgewood chemical weapons arsenal, in his opinion, located on the U.S. Army's Aberdeen Proving Ground, fronting Chesapeake Bay north of Baltimore, Maryland. Now, I mean, logically speaking, he makes excellent points. Where else was it going then? If we're, what we're talking about is sort of the, the bottom line is that he breaks down where else it could have gone, the possibilities, and this does make the most sense. But again, just a theory. On arrival at the Edgewood facility, the, the and this is what he argues is actually in there. The, vi, the vinyl, vinyl, vinyl Dean chloride, vinyl Dean chloride, payload is readily weaponized into pure chlorine or, for likelier, less lethal phosgene for injection into canisters for attachment to bombs and artillery shells. The tactical objective, in his opinion, is to fell Polish citizens, not render them dead in less than an hour. Although many will surely die from poisoned lung tissue in sufficient number to muster a NATO declaration of war against Russia and Belarus, this sort of secret use of phosgene is illegal under U.S. law and the International Chemical Weapons Convention. Finally, he says, a mysterious chlorine gas attack in western Ukraine and against NATO-allied Poland with televised CNN, BBC, ABC scenes of chemical burns and, and of course, Fox, because it's not being included, in, in, inflicted on thousands of Polish citizens in the pastoral homeland would absolutely invoke NATO war authorization on the grounds of protecting allied citizens from illegal gas attacks by launching an all-out bombing campaign and ground invasion of Crimea and the next region and Russia itself, basically starting World War III. All his opinion but lines up pretty damn obviously with what they've already done in places like Syria and elsewhere. Similar provocations to justify intervention were cooked up by Bill Clinton and Tony Blair to invade a, and dismember the Republic of Yugoslavia in 1999-2000, right? There, there is precedent for these kind of actions. A, a, the giveaway leading, leaving no doubts in his mind was the mid-air detection of phosgene in the black cloud over the railside burn pit. The bizarre name of Dow successor company Spectralite is inspired by the eerie yellowish glow of the specific 
vinyldine chloride and phosgene when heated. So the name of the location we're talking about. But it says, on contact with humans and animals, it burns the eyes, ears, nostrils, inflicting unbearable pain and horrific scars. The French deployed phosgene during trench warfare, World War I, killing 85,000 German, English, and American French soldiers. The detection of phosgene in the black cloud of smoke over the East Palestine burn pit indicates the chemical content of the five mysterious tanker cars was not vinyl chloride, as falsely claimed, in his opinion, by Spectralite Dow, Norfolk Southern, and the EPA, but actually comprised the more volatile vinyldene chloride, a molecule containing carbon and two chlorine particles. Now, the interesting part about this is I'm not a, a scientist or a chemist, so it'd be interesting to find out if other experts or the people on this discussion are, are, are other chemists out there that would be willing to argue that this is the op- if it was vinyl chloride, it would have been X, Y, and Z. But if it was vinyl dean chloride, or excuse me, vinyl dean dichloride, it would be something else. It says, since I trained in college to become a lab chemist rather than a chemistry teacher, I hope this, and he goes into much more chemistry in here. You could read for yourself. I hope this simple as possible description shows the reader how the violet, the violet flames violent flames and towering black smoke were generated along the potential harmful effects for any humans or animals that ingest the fumes. Some 3,500 wild animals reportedly were killed and many local residents suffered painful smoke inhalation, AKA chemical poisoning from the pit burn. And then he basically says, uh, Oh, it's basically the last part is East Palestine cannot be ignored or relegated to a hazardous waste site as was done to so many toxic areas. The American people must fight back against authoritarian secret governments and expose their crimes against humanity. The only one, the only problem I have with this where he finishes is that he essentially tries to argue that people should demand the government do something. And then if, if best case or, or if they have to leave the area, and which I'm look, if it's about safety and you're getting sick, absolutely. But the idea that we're going to just hand this land over to the government is exactly kind of what some people argue they want. So just consider that. But it says there were no human observers at the East Palestine crash at 8.55 p.m. on February, February, Friday, February 3rd. The only witness being a security camera at the trackside home, which recorded what we've already talked about, appears to be a malfunctioning wheel of a boxcar, which was giving off sparks like way before this was actually talked about, like stopped or rather derailed closer than farther behind the locomotive. Now, it says my opinion and his opinion is that for political reasons behind a cover up. The, in, the EPA is treating local residents like the human guinea pigs as done by TEPCO at the Fukushima reactor site to study the effects of chlorine poisoning on human subjects. Yes, let's closely observe for the advancement of science what chemicals and radioactivity do to the human mind and body. This obnoxious bureaucratic attitude must be opposed, crushed, and thereby discouraged. Just an interesting consideration. Now, I want to reiterate, this is his opinion. As you know, and he's got some chemistry background, his theory about what he's talking about. Now, I think it's important to consider that. And the only reason I included this today was for the obvious conversation about whether or not that might have been something else going on in that train, which is obviously something we've been asking from the beginning, as well as other people arguing that the vinyl chloride part of this, or even the dioxin part of this, is false or fake or a hoax. Consid- question everything. Consider all of these possibilities. So far, the evidence seems kind of overwhelming that there is potentially a problem of some one way or another dioxins being the most obvious as far as i can tell but assuming that this was not what they told us it was well that that's interesting isn't it and if that is the case that would argue dioxins aren't the problem but then why did we get lied to about it and then this makes perfect sense 
Now this is uh, oh this oh this was just about the showing you that it was on this this is indeed where it was going. Carrying a variety of products from uh, from Madison, Illinois to Conway, Pennsylvania. And then we talked about the vinyl dean chloride, as well as the vinyl dean dichloride, I think, or maybe that was yeah, right there, vinyl dean dichloride. And then there's phosgene in general. So this was the byproduct that they did that was burned or was was detected. Now it says phosgene is extremely poisonous and was used as a chemical weapon during World War I, where it was responsible for the 85,000 deaths. It's a highly potent pulmonary irritant. Of course it is. And quickly fill, filled enemy trenches due to it being a heavy gas. So we've already seen this heavy, the, the, the sinking to the bottom of the water, the, all this kind of stuff, right? It is classified as a Schedule Three substance under the Chemical Weapons Convention. In addition to its industrial p- production, small amounts occur from the breakdown and the combustion of organic or organochloride compounds. It also says it is usually considered too dangerous to transport in bulk quantities. Finally, it says the risk connected to a phosgene inhalation is based not so much on its toxicity, but rather on its typical effects. The affected person, potentially people in Ohio, may not develop any symptoms for hours until, I guess, this this edema or edema, which is, I looked it up before, like fluids, excess watery fluid in the cavities or tissues. And it says, or when that appears, at which point it could be too late for medical treatment to assist. But it also says the detrimental health effects on pulmonary function from untreated chronic low-level exposure to phosgene should not, should not be ignored. Although not exposed to concentrations high enough to immediately cause what that problem is, edema, many synthetic chemists working with the compound were reported to experience chronic respiratory health issues, of course, and eventual respiratory failure from simply continuous low-level exposure, which might be exactly what's happening. If accidental release of phosgene occurs in an industrial or laboratory setting, it can be mitigated with ammonia gas. thought that was interesting. Maybe that's what's being sprayed in these places and we're not being told. I mean, at this point, we should literally be asking if everything about the narrative as usual is a lie or manipulation. Now, one other point I wanted to include that I thought was really interesting. This is just a different story. March 3rd, updated March 5th for who knows why and what, what they changed, as always. Corporate media, yay, journalism. But it says, in the East Bay, the Martinez Refining Company has notified Contra Costa, Costa Health Services of planned maintenance at its facility. The headline reading, Martinez residents warned not to eat grown food grown in gardens. Seriously. Everything aligns today in the same direction. It says this uh, it will cause it says the uh, plan maintenance that will cause flaring that can be seen from the from I-680. What what is flaring and what does that even mean? That's very strange. Something to me, you call me, call me a a skeptic. It's like what, what is actually happening. But it says this comes as the community. This is the story is still dealing with the aftermath of another incident from Thanksgiving. All the way from Thanksgiving, when the company failed to notify the public of a release of toxic dust. So just showing you how this stuff seems to be happening damn near everywhere. And it doesn't mean we shouldn't care about individual situations, but it just shows you how incompetent and criminal and completely malfeasant these the government doesn't care about you. And every and these are the regulatory agencies. The point is that this happened and they're going, oh, just don't eat your food now. Just in case. Yeah, sure. 
which is probably the smart, I mean, it's probably good advice, but the idea that now you're telling people not to eat their own grown food as you were just attacking their food supply and still are is kind of interesting to me. And now after this is happening, now they're having something else go on where they're going, oh, it may cause flaring and you'll be able to see it from super far away. I just, something is fishy. Either way, it's saying that has resulted in the health department cautioning against eating produce grown in exposed gardens. What about other, like gardens? Or what about industrial food production? Right? Those are also out in the open. It's just, it's it's interesting. It says some of the 20 tons, 20 tons of spent catalyst, a dust-like metal material that was released by Martinez Refining Company on Thanksgiving and the day after blanketed these people's yards, potentially contaminating her planted produce. It says, quote, just this morning, a friend of mine asked me about gardening advice and she wants to plant a garden with her young children. And I, she says, oh my God, don't put it in the soil. That's what just people feel today. Don't, don't plant it in the ground. The first thing I said to her was, you better have a container. This is container gardening time now because of what they did. Martinez Refining Company did not notify the health services about the release leading to the county to consider enforcement action. We're going to consider it. So they lied. They did something dangerous. Didn't tell anybody. And we're going to consider whether there should be problem. Consider? So they broke the law. We're going to debate what, I mean, my God, these people are unaccountable. Corporations. The government is toothless here, it seems. Who's really running the show? The public health department's investigation into November incident has turned over to the district attorney's office for review. How much you want to bet it stays there forever? County Public Health Director Dr. Oli Tezveli says a toxicologist will be hired to review the data the health department and hazmat teams collected. Meanwhile, people are still living there. We looked at basically to see if there's evidence of contamination, where it is, how deep it is, and if yes, and if yes what needs to be done to remediate the situation. So until we know, we really recommend not eating food grown in the soil. It's been exposed. It's been, I mean, that's not terrible advice. Because who knows? But the idea this is so ubiquitous and such a normal deal, oh, we didn't even tell anybody. And we're not even deciding whether we're going to charge them with a crime. She's concerned about throwing the dirt away, actually, for fear that that may contaminate the landfill. <laughs> My God. All of, this, all, all of this justifies the new direction. Changing everything, redesigning everything. Well, who will, we're, Why would we allow the people who created this problem to redesign the next step? That's the definition of ignorance. Not actually, but <laughs> but no, to shift over into another massive manipulation, something that I think is very important to show you how willfully dishonest people in the government, all of it, all the media can be. Now, actually, it looks like the, the, the Tucker Carlson show is going to be coming on probably reasonably soon with this new update, which I'm interested to see. I'm in- interested to see what else is discussed. But obviously that this discussion from his show and the January 6th information has caused a storm and everyone's talking about it. But my main point today about what I said in the title and everything else is that, you know, we really didn't need the new information. And it is important. And I will show you. But we already had enough information to prove, which I don't use lightly, that this was a manipulation. This was an operation. Now, what I said casually to many times before this. You don't really need to look further than the fact that they continue to blatantly argue. In fact, find ways to bend and contort the reality to still argue as of January 6, 2023, that this was not just an armed insurrection, but a heavily armed insurrection. Not a joke, guys. 
And you'll see the way that they go, oh, well, this person had a stick and they had to, and then oh, really let it get into the fact that, oh, well, here's three examples of people that had a gun that were there. Oh, you, oh, so a gigantic crowd of hundreds of thousands of people and somebody had a gun that makes it an armed insurrection. That is willful. Uh, that, that's, they are trying to make it what they want it to be. And how about, did, do they ask whether those people that were armed also turned out to be people that were there on behalf of the FBI or the local police? Because we've got numerous examples of people being stopped, as we just showed you the other day. And they go, hey, where are you guys going? And they go, oh, we're all police. There were six of them. And they go, we're all armed. So was that one of them? I mean, th- the point is, it doesn't even matter because they might that might not even be true. I mean, if they're literally arguing such blatant falsehoods, why would we take at face value that they even found people with guns? I mean, you read it for yourself. It's it's insulting to your intelligence. Of course, Mother Jones, you know, the same entity telling you that there's a dangerous conspiracy theory called natural immunity. Great journalism, guys. The main point, though, is that this is being aggressively manipulated by people in positions of power. Here's Liz Cheney showing you this. I mean, just this arbitrary. We're going to go through this pretty good in a second with lots of video and lots of information. But here's this this weird, you know. 31 second, like rapid montage of just people pushing each other and yelling, so cow injuries, danger, and that's happening. Like, just it's about making it seem like this is so crazy. Right. Not an armed insurrection. And yes, there were crimes that were committed, but nobody, the only person that died on this day was Ashley Babbitt. And people they try to conflate as dying because of this died of natural causes, according to people that proved that both on all sides of this. Even the corporate media was forced to admit that. But here she says, one lesson of January 6th is this. Trump's lies, I would love for them to point out what the lies were. Oh, because they're going to simply go, oh, the election. That's what they're going to say. Despite the fact that there's plenty of evidence to show that all sides did it. You know, it doesn't matter. Spread on TV and social media. And then they're going to say that his lies provoked a violent attack on our capital. That's quite a stretch, isn't it? But see, this is the same game we're playing. Well, your words are violence, aren't they? What we're doing right now is violence because what they claim we're doing is misinforming people, which then drives them to take violent action, which is then they're your fault. Well, even if we were in fact lying or even going farther to say we were intentionally lying, which all of which is covered by free speech, they're still grownups that can make their own choices. Maybe you're not, Liz. Maybe you have to dictate or dictated by people outside yours. Well, what do they tell me to do? No, we are adults that make our own choices. So it doesn't matter that you heard somebody tell you things and then made an uninformed choice. That's still your uninformed choice but you see the point is to create a situation where words can be conflated with violence so you can shut down engaged conversation debate and questioning but the point is no reasonable no responsible adult so none of you that apparently and especially no american pledged to our constitution which you guys actively undermine and ignore and break all and violate all the time whether we're talking about the federal government, whether we're talking about, you know, I mean, I, I could go off forever about blatant constitutional violations or the fact that they argue that you should never write down a gun. But, would, but except that one, though. Yeah, shall, it's just so ignorant. But they say should deny what happened or repeat the same reckless lies. No responsible adult should deny what happened and repeat the same reckless lies. So it's interesting. That's what she's doing, denying what happened and repeating reckless lies about what went down. Either way, the point is they set narratives and they run with it regardless. 10 million views of this 30 second meaningless art, you know, a manipulative video of meaningless content that doesn't give you even remotely a picture of what actually happened other than what they want you to see. 
Now, here's Chief Nerd pointing out how they just lost it when Tucker Carlson pointed this out. Now, so I, as you know, I, I'm sure you can expect from me, I'm suspicious about this, about why it's being pushed out through this and it's being, we're creating this false, you know, back and forth where Tucker's fighting for the truth and they're trying to shut him down. And, it, and you know, I mean, look, I agree with what's being reported from the show about this topic, but it doesn't mean I'm still, I'm, that I'm incapable of standing back and going, well, is there more to this story? Are we being manipulated with the truth? People in a two-party paradigm on either side don't like to do that or they never do that. But this is important because the story, as I said, was clear before we ever got here. So it feels like this is an effort to, as always, using the truth, undermine, set a narrative where people can dismiss it without even looking. As he points out, the Mockingbird media says you must believe January 6th was an insurrection, despite newly released video footage, which is what we'll get to next, which is important which was hidden from the public for two years. Now, why would that be? I thought it was all about truth and transparency. Well, no, obviously that's not the case for many of these sides. They're all trying to selectively feed you information to get you to think what they want you to think. That's politics. All of them. Every side. But what's interesting is if we can prove, as we have, that people were ushered through wandering aimlessly without really any violent action or that we have members of uh you know the azov movement on the ground screaming things in russian or have members of antifa which we can verify despite apparently this government investigation not being able to find evidence except we'll just blatantly show it to you right now like it's just inherently dishonest tucker carlson pushes the bogus january 6th story he wanted to tell same thing every single one of them towing the same stupid line well, here is just one of the articles we've done on this, which I recommend you look if you want to go back to my arguments and discussions around this. January 6th, the failed false flag meant to blame Russia and you using CIA-grown Azov Battalion, Azov Movement. Don't forget that overlap to it. Today, that's only one side point we're going to make about that person that was there. Largely, this is more so about local issues and how it's being used, but that you can't de- decouple those two things. Because in my opinion, the reason they're doing this is to frame Republicans, or rather who they say are white supremacist, left, right leaning, right wing crazy, which is anybody. They call me that, and I see both of them, both sides is ridiculous. To frame them as being somehow influenced by Ukraine Nazis. However, those Ukraine Nazis are being put there by Russia. Now, obviously, that narrative has fallen apart a thousand different ways, but they're still pushing that forward. And, and the point being that if you remember the, the true history here, I knew I was going to grab this one anyway. <laughs> this is the other discussion about the about Project Aerodynamic, the, the CIA operation from 1948, before it was even called the CIA, to grow a fascist entity inside of Ukraine to be used against the Soviet Union, which is now being used against Russia. It's the same game. Not just Azov. Documents prove the CIA has been cultivating fascism in Ukraine since 1948, at least. So the point is that if we know that, and they built this entity, which has now been, remember, and the Azov movement, remember, has international arms in Germany, Italy, and the United States. Guess what their United States arm is? The Rise Above movement. That's verifiable. They have meetings together. They've gone back and forth. And the point is the Rise Above movement was Charlottesville. That was the impetus for the whole white supremacy right-wing problem. That was the Azov movement that is funded by the CIA. We are being gamed here, guys. Now, the point in telling you that is to understand how this is larger than one side or the other. And it's really about large. It's really it's larger than even just than U.S. politics. But it says Tucker Carlson calls into question January 6th media consensus with surveillance footage that raises alarms. But this is from the uh, Daily Clout by Vigilant Fox, March 7th. Jacob Chansley, also known as the QAnon shaman, 
Now, it says he for the alleged violent entry and disorderly conduct, Jacob Chansley was sentenced to 41 months in prison. Now, we should actually ask whether this was that he was being set up or there's more to the story, because just like the Antifa guy will show you, he are he uh, at least on the surface also got charged. But what actually happens? Are they actually in jail? Is there really I mean, are these people assets? These are real questions we should ask, because if this person, as you're going to see, was being ushered around the room. Honestly, my, my, my gut would tell me he was being used, played, being walked through the building and then being called out as the, as the problem, right? But either way, we should ask the question because I think, in my opinion, the Antifa side of this is very clearly being at least driven or allowed, even if he was then later thrown to the bus, which happens. I would just wonder why they wouldn't then speak out about that. But it says, newly surfacing video footage shows Tucker Carlson on Tucker Carlson. Uh, rather, the point is shows this person being ushered through the building. And I'll just show you this right now. It's important. This conspiracy theorist dressed in outlandish costume who led the violent insurrection to overthrow American democracy. For these crimes, Chansley was sentenced to nearly four years in prison, far more time than many violent criminals now receive. What did Jacob Chansley do to receive this punishment? To this day, there is dispute over how Chansley got into the Capitol building. But according to our review of the internal surveillance video, it is very clear what happened once he got inside. Somebody in the chat, how, how did they, how did Fox News get get the footage? I would wonder why they're only just now reporting this unless there's the story is that they got this through some kind of, you know, ex, give me the information in the chat if you can about where they got this from. Because it's interesting, like that would be my wonder as always is why why this took so long to come out. Obviously, from one side, you'd argue they're trying to hide the reality, Right. And, you know, within the two party conversation, the argument for the right would be that they just found it. Now they're exposing the truth. But I just I'm always skeptical about that whole back and forth two party paradigm discussion. So why would it only just come out now? Why it took so long? Let me know in the chat if you know where they got it from. Virtually every moment of his time inside the Capitol was caught on tape. The tapes show the Capitol Police never stopped Jacob Chansley. They helped him. They acted as his tour guides. Look at this. Here's video of Chansley in the Senate chamber. Jeez. Capitol Police officers take him to multiple entrances and even try to open locked doors for him. We counted at least... This is the guy that supposedly risked Nancy Pelosi? I mean, really? Oh, so it's saying supposedly uh, Kevin McCarthy gave it to Tucker? Right. Okay, so then why did it happen? Why, what took so long? Right? I mean, I would question whether that was withheld by all of them. Nine officers who were within touching distance of unarmed Jacob Chansley. Look at that. Not one of them even tried to slow him down. Chansley understood that Capitol Police were his allies. Video shows him giving thanks for them in a prayer on the floor of the Senate. Watch. So what the argument is, because he's the Speaker of the House, he now has access to the videos. That makes sense. That makes sense. But nonetheless, still, though, you know, I mean, I just it's we should be quite skeptical. I mean, I know you all are. We're all pretty much on the same page when it comes down to questioning the two-party paradigm, I would hope. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for paying the inspiration needed to these police officers to allow us in this building. Contrast the reality of what Jacob Chansley did in the Capitol building on January 6th. Right. And you, go, you know, think about what he just said right there. We're talking about him. We all know this, though. We've got the videos. We've already shown you all of this. We've gone over the information that Pelosi had shut down reinforcements, how they were ready with the camera crew. I mean, it's just so stupidly obvious. And that's what it's so frustrating that it can be to anybody truly objective, not 
tainted by the two-party paradigm, because understand the right also misrepresents the situation to some degree too, is that it's impossible to get this information out despite how plainly obvious the reality is. I mean, it just, it's infuriating. It gets, it's, it's, this is why we have to go through topics like the mass conversation 47 times, and I'll probably have to do it again tomorrow. But we're, that's what we're here to do. The point is, if this guy's being wandered around so obviously, and he's up there going, thank them for letting us in, and we have the video of them letting them in, not just this video, but all the ones we showed you right in the beginning, how in the world was this ever framed otherwise? The point is, this was an operation that was already set, it was already moving, and there was too many moving parts, and it just went forward. They were calling it an armed insurrection. They were calling it all the things they were supposed to call it well before, or well after, we should say, they knew that wasn't the case. Very interesting. So it goes on to say, you saw him walk past, basically what they're just saying, past the other officers. It says, another Twitter user said, BBC News ran, has ran three separate negative Twitter stories on their online feed the last two days. They're not covering January 6th new evidence. Journalism is dead. Well, the point is they are. They're just doing attack pieces on Twitter, and it's, it's kind of interesting, which, again, sets up kind of this false comparison where Twitter's somehow the good guy and Elon and Tucker are fighting for the truth. I don't believe that. I just don't. Call me a skeptic. The face of Fox News is doing everything in his power to sanitize the horrific violence the nation saw unfold in real time at the U.S. Capitol in the aftermath of the 2020 election. The horrific violence. Like, I mean, look, it's not hard to compare this to other examples of things that they call something justified. Like, as always, you could point at many examples, one of which would be some of these really violent protests. We're totally okay. We don't discuss that, except the right then points out the violence, and that also gets mad. You know, it's the same game back and forth. All of them play that same game. But in this case, we're pointing at the left doing this in regard to what happened, and they're hyping it for obvious reasons. And then, of course, this gets framed as, so who do you believe? And that's my point. Tucker or CNN? How about none of them? How about we don't pick and align ourselves? How I take their side? (laughs) That's how everyone feels they have to act today. Question all of them. Pick nobody's side. Pick your side. Pick the side of the truth and question every single one of them. And doubt them all the time. Because that's what an intelligent person would do, is ask whether they could simply be wrong. Or lying. Or part of some larger agenda. But either way, it's a good overlap of what's going on here. And here, as, as Garrow Doc points out, so apparently the QAnon shaman, the guy of, he, that he has labeled a domestic terrorist previously, was apparently peacefully led around the Capitol. I'm sort of having trouble processing what this all means. Look at that. So you have literally somebody who's been you know, on the, the whatever, the, the left arguable side of this, arguing that this is an insurrection and he's a terrorist, who now himself is going, I don't even know how to handle this. Like, think about that. These people, I think what that shows you is that not every person that is arguing what they're hearing on the news is, in fact, a shill over the government, which is also being wildly overused today. Why are you out there calling someone a shill unless you know that for sure? It's, it's just dumb. That's stupid. That's willful ignorance. Certainly could be the case. We know how that works today. It's happening to anybody who's arguing in certain narratives, usually two-party paradigm. But I find that interesting, don't you? That people were all being played. Liberty Lockdown points out when the January 6th commission selectively edits footage to incriminate innocent people. Good, patriotic, defending democracy. When Tucker Carlson shows other edits that prove his na- the narrative is false, bad, dangerous, threat to democracy. <laughs> this is honestly what they're going with. I mean, it, it is pretty stupid. Now, this is just a funny little meme that I think is important. Good point made here. Duke of Memes points out on December 14th, 2021. Tell us the FBI did January 6th without saying the FBI did January 6th and points out these two 
important articles. Well, and this doesn't prove, but it's an important point. From January 27, 2021, and we already went over this in previous discussions about this. I think it was on that January 6th article. Proud Boys leader Enrique Tarrio was outed as an FBI informant. Extremist leader, that's what they call him, repeatedly worked undercover for investigators after his arrest in 2012. Former prosecutor and court files reveal. Okay. So if this person is an FBI informant in 2021, January, then on December, so basically a year later, December 14th, the D.C. sues Proud Boys, Oath Keepers, over that attack. The federal civil lawsuit alleges the group members planned, promoted, and participated in the attack. Remember, guys, this is not even, we've already exposed this from very early on, that there were FBI agents verifiably at leadership positions like we're seeing here in multiple examples. There's even an example that was already deleted by corporate media, which I was looking at earlier, which didn't seem like it, it, which one was that? Actually, the, the point is that there was a supposedly, oh, that's right. This is, this is one that I wasn't able to confirm personally, but we have an example argument and it was then later deleted by the media themselves. So I'm not sure how this plays out of a Republican pretending to be Antifa. Now that seems very, self-serving if you ask me what we're going to get into next but the argument there though is the only reason they know that is because guess what there was an fbi informant working with him right alongside the militia so there's another example of multiple fbi agents that were there on the ground on january 6th embedded with the the very entities they say were leading this so were they then we also have examples of plenty of police, plenty of naval psychological operations officer who was there but but over, over on accord though all this stuff is real. It's all been proven. So the interesting thing is that it's obvious, obviously, or the, the, the fair question to ask whether or not there was, you know, that there was more going on here. But then when we get into a lot of the evidence that they just don't want to talk about, it's really hard to not see what's going on. Now, here's an example. Just a guy wearing an earpiece, physically forcing people into the Capitol building, and this woman calls him out on it. What you can see right here, if you if you watch it on slow, he this guy, which you'll see, and she calls him out for him. This guy right there in the, in the circle, he is pushing people into the door, like literally, like pushing people, not like helping them, but shoving people into the door. And then this woman basically goes, "Stop! Why are you?" I'll let it play for itself. Sure enough. Now, again, could that just be, you know, an officer there to keep everybody safe who just happens to also be there? And maybe he was trying to. Sure. You can you can guess all day long about what you want it to be. But how about we realize that that's pretty indicative of exactly what they're telling you not to ask. That there were people there that were, in fact, helping push people in and making this happen for obvious political reasons that I believe. Implicate both sides of the paradigm, guys. here is a few other videos that i think are important before we get into the antifa ukraine or lapse this is just an article about unseen january 6 footage catching antifa red-handed now again the assumption is this is antifa now the, oh, i'm going to prove to you that the main individual that we've talked about in the past is in fact exactly what he looks like and what he says he is in the past 
But these examples they claim are Antifa, but I would agree based on numerous factors, but it's not, I would argue it's not verified. What they're showing is these individuals who are being called out by other people on the ground for being Antifa. And these were the people that were beginning the violence in regard to the window breaking, the, the, the doors and so on. So watch this clip. It's a little low. I didn't want, I didn't download this one, but the point is you can hear the crowd yelling Antifa and stop them. And then they jump up and stop them. Not only does this show you that there were a lot of people that were Trump supporters that were there with the intention to make sure there was no violence. And that's why it was made sure that people knew it was a not, not to come armed despite the, the push to make that happen, despite the Ray Epps of the world driving people to do so and to violently go into the Capitol. And like all of this was pushed. Watch, watch this one. Right. So they're all going Antifa and he's been only just by himself standing there, as it says, with a with a big, huge helmet with it with, with it just says Trump handwritten on the back of his helmet, which I'm, I guess you could argue that could be anybody. But all, but it also just kind of seems like a clumsy effort to be like, I'm a Trump supporter in all black breaking a window down. Right. And all the crowds calling him out for Antifa. Why wouldn't he be like, no, I'm on your side. I mean, it, just, it seems pretty obvious. That's not what it, one of the people that are there along with everybody else. Just an opinion, though. Again, can't be proven. Here's another example. Trump, oh, it's the same one. Trump supporters attacking him. And then here's an example of supporters fighting Antifa at the Capitol doors. Or rather, what they say is Antifa. I'm pretty sure that that's Ray Epps talking to them right there. But the backpack and the whole look, and I'm going to show you in a minute. This guy right here, I, and maybe like the hat might, let me, I'm going to confirm it. But this guy right here talk, running up and talking to them. Ah, dang it. Oh, that is the video. I thought that was me. But anyway, the point is they're saying it's Antifa. The point, you can clearly see two guys all dressed in black, just like Antifa, which nobody else is dressed like, banging on these doors and Trump supporters coming up and continually stopping them. I mean, it just that does not align with even remotely what they say is happening. Now, whether it was Antifa or not, it shows you an effort to stop there from the violence from continuing like that. Now, this person is an obvious example, an undeniable example of something that they're just playing dumb about. John Earl Sullivan. Now, the point in this is that he's one of these, you know, ja- before, the, you know, January 6th attackers, what they're you know, calling him, capital attack. But before the January 6th attack, even on Wikipedia, he organized and participated in protests relating to the Black Lives Matter movement. Now, is it possible that a Trump supporter could be a part of that? Sure. I mean, it's, I'm sure there's somebody out there that overlaps in that regard, just like any other overlap. But that's pretty interesting, isn't it? Isn't it, it kind of is a, an, an overlap you wouldn't expect. 
But that alone, not enough, right? In this, in this very article, they go, no, no, fake news. It says right down here, Antifa conspiracy theory. Really? And all they say is, well, that's been debunked by, by the investigation. Oh, great. You mean the people involved? <laughs> well, here's Andy Nose, who was covering this a lot before, who has it on video right here. John Earl Sullivan, who was inside the Capitol building during the siege on Wednesday, previously gave a speech in, in Black Lives Matter Plaza in D.C. August 2020, 2020, where he identifies as being part of an insurgency group and calls for a violent left-wing revolution. Yeah, but let's pretend like they just missed this on this gigantic Twitter account of a million followers prominently posted right on Twitter that I found in 10 seconds. But apparently the investigation just couldn't find any evidence of exactly this. What's going on? What's going on, everybody? My name's John Sullivan. I'm from Salt Lake City, Utah. My group is Insurgents USA. Yeah, and it, he, you heard him say his name, just so it's clear. That's, this is the same guy. We fucking about to burn this shit down. Fuck oh, this sorry, shit. Sorry, guys. Earmuffs here. For the children out there paying, listening, he's going to cuss a bunch right here. But they're going to burn it down, he said. Who, anybody out here seen that white militia guy shoot three, ki three kids? Yeah. yeah. Fuck that guy. And I will tell you this shit is in Utah, a whole bunch of white militia came out there, formed against our group. We out there strapped. We out there ready to burn that shit down. We out there to defend our fucking self. We got to defend ourselves now, too. We do. Because power to the people. Power to the people. Power to the people. Damn right. We got fucking, we got fucking rip Trump out of that office right over there. Fucking pull him out that shit. clearly a trump supporter right are, are we, are we going to pretend that they weren't able to do this due diligence i mean think about how easily dishonest this is that they they pretend this isn't happening and now we ain't about fucking waiting until the next election we about to go get that motherfucker i ain't about that shit because you know what time it is i want y'all to be after me it's time for a revolution it's time for a revolution it's time Revolution! Thank you guys. I appreciate y'all. Be safe. Be blessed. Okay, is anybody just is anybody confused about who exactly this person is? I mean, look, there's a whole thread in here you can find about other information around this overlap. There's, that's actually an interesting thread for a lot of this stuff as well. But just just on this one point, right? So this is the guy we're talking about. This is in fact the guy who was very clearly on the ground. Who guys? There's no disputing that. Like, as, the, as you can even see in the Wikipedia page, they're clearly telling you this is that guy that was there on January 6th. That is his name. He just identified himself on this video as somebody who is an anti-Trump individual who is part of a group that is about left-wing revolution. I mean, how much more obvious does it need to get? And here he is. You could see the middle as this was is with his fake Trump hat, or rather his Trump hat, but then, and his draft is Antifa, right? Here he is standing right next to Ray Epps, before and I, Ray Epps is dressed differently on the next day. Now here is Andy No pointing out that one, the guy is a you know a, a left wing activist, and but he also happened to get paid, as you guys know, tens of thousands of dollars by CNN, NBC, ABC Australia. Why? Because he just so happened to be the one right there filming Ashley Babbitt get shot. Joining me is a man who has covered the violent far-left protests that have hit so many American cities, 
particularly over the last year, Black Lives Matter, and he's been bashed for it. He's just got a new book out in the New York Times bestseller already for two straight weeks already called Unmasked Inside Antifa's Radical Plan to Destroy Democracy, a book which tells us exactly what kind of activists are creating this mayhem and the mugshots don't actually flatter them. The author is Andy No, who joins us again, this time from London. Andy, it's always great to catch up with you. And congratulations on the success of your book. You deserve it. You've, you've done so much on the ground reporting for this. Are you surprised now that at least one of the people invading the capital was not a right winger, who you know, invading the building, smashing things, confronting police, telling the crowd to burn it? Not a right winger, but an activist from the left. I'm not surprised. I actually recognised John Earl Sullivan pretty early on uh, because he was posting his videos. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. His name is actually John L. Sullivan. Oh, no, Earl. I'm sorry. I was just thinking, I, th I thought I said L for a second. Anyway, anybody from California will remember, <laughs> remember John L. Sullivan. Not important. Let's continue. From when he was inside the Capitol Hill. And I recognized him because... Last year, he had been arrested and charged in Utah, where he's from, over a BLM Antifa riot there where a driver was shot. And the local authorities accused him of threatening to beat a woman. So he has pending charges over that. So regarding the payment that ABC Australia paid to him, as bad as that was, uh, CNN and NBC News each paid him 35,000 US dollars for the video of uh, the woman protester uh, getting shot dead. So think about the, the coincidence of not only this individual being there in every possible situation next to Ray Epps when this is being pushed at the gate or either at the the moment when they went in and then at the front when Ashley Babbitt gets shot and then somehow finding his way out to be able to do this. Now this, this was, I, I was, I was, so, I was so glad when I found this video, this was, I mean, near impossible to find. I can't find any of these things. Like I'm not even talking about the OAN video. This is an, oh, this is a screen grab <laughs> or rather a phone screen filming of a TV of the OAN report showing the video that I'm trying to find. <laughs> it's like, I, it doesn't surprise me at all that this specific video has been seemingly scrubbed, which I'm sure somebody has a copy of it that can send it to me, which you, if you have it, send it to me. I couldn't find it today. But nonetheless, they get, this gets the job done with everything else we're talking about. Here's a video put, put up by Eric Schmidt, some, some random you know, YouTube account, and it says John Earl Sullivan, leader arrested inside basically he admits he organized this or rather that's what i believe is happening as well but you could argue differently but it's you'll see what i mean the con the the, the video is ridiculous because it's being filmed from another phone but it's amazing this stuff is out there and they're pretending like this is there's no evidence to suggest this person was exactly what he says that he is charges for allegedly storming the capitol building last week dressed as a trump supporter now i know the volume's really low the real point is about the clip they're playing. She's just reporting the same kind of stuff we're talking about. That this activist was there, he posed as a Trump supporter. Here's more on his arrest. John Earl Sullivan, who is a supporter of Antifa and BLM, and the leader of Insurgents USA, is arrested and indicted in Utah. This after he was caught on video instigating violence on Capitol Hill and admitting that he posed as a Trump supporter during the demonstration on January 6th. Which, which we don't need. Again, we, all, we just proved from his own statements that he's an anti-Trump individual. 
pretty clear. But what he says right here is openly admitting that they made this happen, or at least he was involved with the effort to trick people to go into the Capitol. I'm going to wear a Trump hat. I'm going to wear a Trump hat. I bought one today. <laughs> I was wearing a Trump hat at the last Trump, at the Trump rally during the daytime. Because I was like, nah, that's happening, bro. Resurfaced videos filmed by so. So if in case you didn't hear, it's kind of low. He's saying, I got a Trump hat. I was wearing a Trump hat. Like the point is, this is an organized effort to trick these people. To trick them like they're they, they're trying to make them be the illusion they've created about what this crowd is. Sullivan himself show he was an active participant of clashes at the U.S. Capitol, and he even broke a window during the protest. The far left activist also admits it's not the first time he posed as someone else. What's up, bro? <laughs> well, they already broke the window, so, you know, I didn't know I hit it that hard. Yeah, no one got that on camera. What reality is this? Oh my god, we did this. Oh my god, we did this. He was previously arrested on July 13th for rioting and criminal mischief based on his activities at the June 30th protest in which a civilian was shot and injured. That case is still pending. I, I wonder whether he's actually in, in jail, right? Like, I want to know what's actually happening. Like, either he was a scapegoat, and I'm surprised he's not speaking out about that, or something else is going on. I find that very, very interesting. Now... This is an additional part to that, which it played one quick part of it. So this is this is that part where you hear him say we did it. But with it, th this person's suggesting, which I wasn't able to find, that this is reporter Jade Sacker. CNN reporter Jade Sacker. Let's do this. We're talking about apparently this person. Right. So here is these overlap images. But see, again, I wasn't able to confirm this. Like, these are people talking about this. In any case, the point is they're arguing that this is, uh, that he, that was the person next to him that we just saw in that the, the video right here where they were speaking after the fact, right there, as well as somebody else. That's what they're suggesting. But it's saying, what were they doing at the Capitol with the Antifa member, John Sullivan? And here again is where he says, we did it. We did it. <laughs> you were right. We did it. Dude, I was trying to tell you. I, I couldn't say much. You were right. <laughs> right. See, you were right. We couldn't say much. And remember, he admitted he's an anti-Trump person. Faking a Trump hat. Now they're going, yeah, I can't believe it. We couldn't say much at the time. I mean, really, this is child level obvious. You just have to wash my child. Oh, my God. Is this not going to be the best film you've ever made in your life? Hell yeah. Hell yeah? Hell yeah. Wait, you weren't recording, were you? I'll delete that shit. But I didn't record. I'll delete it. Right? Yeah, because that's but why? Because you're trying to film it for the reality or because you're trying to cover something up? Or do you hear me? It's just voices. My God. How much more obvious does it need to be? But before we go to the Ukraine thing, I figured it was prudent to play the Ray Epps part of this as well, seeing as how it's obvious this person is continually being seen right next to Ray Epps repeatedly. 
Here was the Rams part. In case you forgot, another individual that was there, clearly in a, you know, at least appearing in a very military fed kind of way and then being called as such by people around him and he's repeatedly going we're going into the capital and all the trump supporters every time he brings it up go no fed fed i mean it's it is, i mean i don't even need to explain to you this is exactly what it looks like tomorrow we need to go into the capital into the capital what no Tomorrow, I don't even like to say it because I'll be arrested. Well, let's not say it. We need, we need to safe. go. I'll say it. All right. We need to go in. Shut the fuck up, Boomer. To the Capitol. <laughs> Base <laughs> Fed posting? Yeah. <laughs> we need to go into the Capitol. I didn't see that coming. Okay. okay. Monument Hill. Come on, guys. All right, no, okay, Dave, but one more thing. Yeah, so can we go up there? No? When we go in. Are we going to get arrested if we go up here. there? Yeah. You don't need to get Did shot. arrest us all? Now, I mean, th- that, that other video is important. Now, one argument could be that, well, he, he was telling him not to bring a gun, which would suggest that he doesn't want a problem. But what's interesting to me is that's before this ever happened. So when we go into the Capitol, like as a foregone conclusion, doesn't that just scream foreknowledge? Yeah, it really does. And he whispers something and then suddenly it kicks off. I mean, you just can't miss how this guy is around every single thing. And we keep finding Jake Sullivan right there next to him. By the way, it's not the person I thought it was in that other video. I just thought I saw that with that same body structure. But either way, the point is this is continually overlapping. And, you know, again, I I really don't even need to keep explaining. This is exactly anybody who is not politically manipulated or trying to ignore things for their own political gain. It's this is as obvious as ever seen anything. A lot of this stuff is today. Ray Epps clearly got his wish. Now, going forward, there's another example of something that I don't want us to miss, especially with this weird overlap with everything seems to be overlap with Ukraine. I mean, there's a, clearly a lot going on there. I mean, even these discussions about the the lab, the, the, the COVID origin conversation, which I, you know, I think is a bit of a stretch with a lot of things. But it's certainly something we should ask, especially knowing the bio lab overlap that they also want to pretend is fake news, despite it being easily proven. It's certainly possible that that was some sign of overlap with the origin. But either way, the point is, it's weird how all of this seems to overlap. Well, here's one that seems to get forgotten. And I think it's because of the two party paradigm that people on certain sides of the argument want to ignore, you know, uncomfortable facts. Because there's a lot of Republicans that are wildly pro-Ukraine. Or, yeah, pro anti Russia, pro Ukraine. But it says among the tales of intrigue from January 6th is what was Ukrainian uh, Siri Dubian, Dubianin, Sergei Dubianin, a member of the neo Nazi Ukrainian paramilitary, paramilitary, the right sector. But as well as the point is, you have examples of both right sector gear as well as Azov movement. But you know, there's overlaps in regard to both being fascist entities operating in Ukraine. And the point is that they, that you, here he is, pictured right next to the QAnon shaman guy. 
In 2014 is a, re- a photo of of Donetsk, and here he is being you know p- uh, uh, photographed there on the ground. Says the the Putin friendly. Oh, they're trying to frame this as somebody who is like anti-Putin. Essentially, the point is you can prove this person is a, U- a Ukrainian neo-Nazi militia, you know, whatever group organized person who is wanted on criminal charges in the Donbass region, specifically because of those kind of neo-Nazi, you know, ethnic cleansing type actions. Now, just to cut to the chase, the bottom line is you can prove that it's very easy. All the information we haven't done. This is just a quick review. But again, going back to my other research on this, we've gone over this in depth. An entire show was done about this guy. And the reality being is you can prove all this stuff. Now, what's what's even more interesting is this specific image right here. This is an image that was you. This is a shirt. Actually, I think was used or designed by or at least made prominent by Kolomoisky who is one, the leading financer of Zelensky and his campaign and his, everything he's doing, as well as the lead financer of the Azov movement. As well as, as, as it either, either was previously or is still currently the, lead, the head of the Jewish Congress, right? And that's what this image is supposed to be kind of an overlap of, despite that being incredibly ridiculous, seeing as how we're talking about a neo-Nazi element. Either way, the point here is that it's obvious that this ties directly back to everything we're talking about. And here's the one I have shared here which you can see the Azov movement flag hanging right behind him, despite him trying to pretend to be something else. Now, the big point in all of this, as we've shown you directly on this show, is that on the ground, this person is yelling in Russian. Yelling, come on, do it. Don't be scared in Russian. The video, you can watch it for yourself. Now, why would that be happening? Why would a Ukrainian a verifiable member of the Ukrainian neo-Nazi elements be on the ground in January 6th screaming things in Russian. I can tell you why. In my opinion, this is because this was the entire plan. They were meant to set this up, just like I was telling you, to be blamed on you and Russia. Doesn't that perfectly fit in with everything they seem to be screaming, even though that fell apart? Yes. Now, it's developed since then. We've talked about the base and all these different elements which is the English translation of the term Al-Qaeda, which is a supposedly neo-Nazi group that operates out of Russia that's run by a former department state top secret clearance person from the U.S. government. So you, yeah, you just suddenly broke off and became a white supremacist. I mean, it's, just, it's so ridiculous. Certainly possible. I just don't buy it. The bottom line is everything about this stinks. Everything about this is set up and manipulated. People on the ground, informants in every location, obvious manipulation, lies about how it played out, and now video of them just wandering through with them. I mean, what more do we need to see? Antifa members literally leading these movements, FBI agents telling people to go in. I mean, my God. Now, going back to whatever I, I think maybe Tucker's even going on right now, this is what they spoke up about. Before that, saying, no, we need to stop, stop Tucker Carlson from continuing this dangerous report. Think about the statement. A member of Congress standing up and saying, news, don't report that story. I mean, this they, they've pulled the mask off, guys. They don't even care anymore. Now, look, I don't feel that Fox News or CNN are genuine journalism personally. I really don't. However, it is still considered reporting. And the idea that they can stand up and, and and think it's acceptable for them to argue that he's not allowed to report this story. I mean, we're they're showing you what we really live in, the authoritarian country that we actually live in. <clears throat> now, here's what one side of the paradigm had to say. Chuck Schumer. Eyes continue tonight. 
you know, the provable, the provable facts that we want to call lies. Rupert Murdoch, who has admitted they were lies and said he regretted it, has a special obligation to stop Tucker Carlson from going on tonight now that he's seen how he has perverted and slimed the truth and from letting him go on again and again and again. Not because their views deserve such opprobrium, but because our democracy depends on it. These oh, okay. Yeah, right. The, the authoritarian, top-down, totalitarian government they build, that depends on you doing what you're told. It sure does. Now, there's also somebody else who spoke up. You won't be surprised because it is an illusion. You know, the two-party paradigm. Here's Mitch McConnell. It was a mistake for Fox News to show this. Well, isn't that interesting? How does that play out? I thought this was supposed to be on different sides. Was it a mistake by Speaker McCarthy to give access to Tucker Carlson on this security footage? My uh, concern is <laughs> how it was depicted, which is a different issue. Thank God. Clearly, the chief of the Capitol Police, in my view, correctly describes what most of us witnessed firsthand on January 6th. So anyway, I can't even do I can't even deal with this guy right now. serious about the January 6th. Like this guy is right out of a cartoon. I swear to God, these people are not real. <laughs> I just can't get past this guy. Just... Anyway, not appropriate right now. I just couldn't help it. It's just my God, the Pelosi's and the Maxine Waters and the McConnell's, these guys don't exist in real life. It's just blowing me away. I mean, I swear, that's like something you can look up on some kind of cartoonish version of the way these people are supposed to be in like some some Southern aristocrat. You know, it's like just so strange to me. But anyway, the point is that all of them are telling you, nope, not allowed. Can't have this conversation. But free speech, though, we respect the media, but you can't have these conversations. Sure, sure lines up, doesn't it? Well, here is the in other for other CNN fake news out there. All of them are fake news, so it's clear talking about how this is a threat to our republic don't you love how now they want to use republic right it's like it's perfect timing like so it's a democracy and they want like the point is that it's none of these things we have lost if it ever was what we were told that it was because of these kind of entities right here but they're talking about like think about the context that we're saying reporting information even if it's wrong is a, is a threat to the republic no shutting down conversation reporting is a threat or was the responsible for the destruction of what was possibly once a republic. Listen to what they're saying. And it's just not surprising at all. This is CNN. This and others are doing limit our ability to understand who we are and are not inclusive. They're exclusive. They're they're narrowing the focus of what is and isn't American history. It's terrifying. It feels like a Soviet system or, you know, the way the Nazis would build a Potemkin village. Tucker Carlson's doing the same thing with the footage from uh, 1-6. It's just uh, a, a kind of rewriting of history at the most dangerous level. It's it's a huge threat to our republic. I'm doing Don I mean, think about the the lack of self-awareness. Right now, now, seriously, guys, if we're if we're talking about. I mean, it could be that these people just genuinely do not recognize that they're doing that, too. I mean, certainly possible. I just don't know how that could be. But these people do, you know, have their heads up their butts pretty, pretty far. So maybe they just don't know. But what's amazing for somebody on the false Democrat side of the two party illusion to stand there and say that they're rewriting history. 
right? This revisionist idea that we're suddenly reimagining all these things. I mean, my God, talk about a lack of awareness. Take down those statues because we don't agree. But no, we're the ones like, and then I'm not defending Tucker Carlson, but the idea that pointing out these facts is somehow rewriting history is amazing to me. But again, they all do it. All of them. The right does it. And it's so much. I mean, we could talk about China. We could talk about Russia. We could talk about, you know, it's the two parties. It's the teeter totter of manipulation. And they all do it in their own certain ways. And then the other sides can't seem to recognize it in themselves when they point at the other just like this. But the bottom line is that they're trying to pretend that informed, engaged conversation, even if they're wrong, is somehow a threat. We know that's not true. The answer is always more speech, always more conversation than the opposite. Always. And in fact, even they have a right to be wrong or lie for that matter. It's free speech. But you see, the problem is CNN and a lot of these people, even on the right side, don't actually believe in free speech. And that's become abundantly clear. Now, here's one more example on this before we finish with some COVID-19 conversation. Another FBI whistleblower says he was forced to inflate domestic terrorism numbers. Now, you know where this goes. We've already talked about the January 6th point, the Russia overlap. This is about the domestic terrorism, the false growth of white supremacy, and the blaming of anybody that challenges any narrative. That's how this goes. So why would they need to inflate the numbers if this is the biggest problem they've ever seen? It's all white males and white supremacy. Well, because this is an illusion. This is an operation. Doesn't mean that there's not white supremacy. Doesn't mean there's not racism because assume that's what I just said is pretty dumb because that's not what I just said. What I said is that this is being overblown, right? But there's obviously racism. There's obviously white supremacy. There's all. There's obviously black supremacy. There's obviously Jewish supremacy. Uh oh, <laughs> yeah, really? They're everywhere, guys. These things exist. It doesn't mean that every black person has that mentality. It'd be dumb to assume that's what I meant. But you see, we live in a world where people love to assume. Oh, wink, wink. I Here's what he meant to say. It always reminds me of that Jordan Peterson interview where she goes, so what you're saying is, <laughs> no, no, not at all. Not even remotely what I said. Try again, right? They love to try to repackage what you're saying to fit what they want you to look like. And that applies to people all over this, not just government or media. But this point's important. Another FBI whistleblower has stepped forward to tell the House Select Subcommittee on the weaponization of federal government that the agency had him boost domestic terrorism figures by dividing cases into multiple subdivisions. FBI Special Agent Garrett O'Boyle from the Kansas City Field Office told congressional investigators that the agency had him divide a single domestic terrorism case into four different cases so that the FBI could go to Congress and say, look at all the domestic terrorism we've investigated. Where, really, direct quote, I was working on one case. But the FBI can then say, well, he actually had four. And so we need you to give us more money because look at how big of a threat all this domestic terrorism is. He also said that the FBI created a specific threat t- threat tag for pro-lifers amid the leak of the Supreme Court's opinion in Dobbs, you know, the leak, of course, of Dobbs versus Jackson's Women Health Care Center. Of course, this was leaked at a very important time when a lot of other things were happening, as opposed to the ranging raging, excuse me, pro, this is obviously the article's opinion, the people that are pro-abortion. But even, you can even argue the person writing this article is doing kind of the same, you know, the raging pro-abortion. It's the same thing on both sides. You've got the extreme people that are absolutely like aggressively arguing. You're not allowed to do that. It's the same thing as the people that are absolutely aggressively raging that you should be able to do it. You see my point? Even the articles about you, people fail to see it in themselves. But 
the bottom line is it's not just about money, guys. It is about an agenda. It's about building the illusion that there is an outsized domestic terrorism threat so they can then shut you down as domestic population. I mean, look, if the war on terror has been exposed to actually been focused on us the entire time, why would the domestic terrorism focus not be even worse? I mean, that's pretty obvious. As Whitney said, coined in regard to the COVID discussion, your body is the new battlefield. So in every possible way, they're looking at you and they always have. You know why? Because in every top possible document, every possible think tank, even directly from the military themselves, you are the biggest threat. It's, and it's not just domestic terrorism, just you as an American who have the potential to stop them, to change what they can do, to hold them accountable. You are the threat, not some random person on either side of the world. They want you to think that so they can abuse them for what they want. You, however, are the biggest threat to their power. Which is why we see things like this, which, of course, has lost the highlighting. Newsweek. Another effort. To, I, to kind of conflate things as really to make it look like we're kind of admitting something. Now, there is a lot of admission here. And this is an important article. But every one of these I can't help but see begins to feel like an effort to kind of go, well, you know, we're going to give you some truth in hopes that you miss the bigger reality. And look, you know, people that are right now arguing that, that we may be missing or well, not missing, but just we have failed to understand what they see in the non-virus conversation. It's a fair point. Certainly, we could be missing that because of these conversations, and that's a fair point. I don't believe that's the case, and I've looked at it entirely, but we can acknowledge that those things are present, which seems to be absent in the reverse. But in this case, we have a discussion about the entire response being based on lies, which is obvious. We all seem to be understanding. Scott Atlas is somebody who's been pointing a lot of this out early on. However, there is some conversation here that I want to point out that I think is concerning, but by and large, Think about the contrast of this versus where this started. For those that are out there still arguing that these things need to be not just given, but in fact forced on people or mass or lockdowns or any of it. Almost all of America's leaders have gradually pulled back their COVID mandates, requirements and closures, even in states like California, which had imposed the most stringent and longest lasting restrictions on the public. My point I said yesterday, in fact, was how do you even make sense of that? Isn't it their argument that the variants and everything else and you dangerous anti-vaxxers, whatever else, have stopped this from reaching herd immunity? Or rather that they just weren't capable of reaching that with an injection that doesn't even create immunity. Like it's not even creating a mucosal immunity. Yeah, all the facts aside, the point is that they're the ones narrative telling you that this didn't happen. And that we need to keep taking boosters as of like a month ago because, well, otherwise we're all going to get sick. It's all going to come back. And then just weirdly, it just kind of goes, okay, now it's, now we're all done. We did it. No more. Canada says you don't need more boosters. People are rolling back everything. Now, that, that's not to say that 30 seconds from now, it's not going to spring back into action. But my point is, right in this moment, take stock of the fact that they're exposing themselves, as well as many other times. There's no logical answer there. They're either admitting that this was never a problem, or telling you that, well, we're just going to stop caring about you because you're not listening. So fuck it. Don't excuse me. I can't believe I just cussed. Screw it. You don't need to do it. I mean, it, it, the point is either way, they're exposing that you that they don't care. Or rather the reality that this was never actually about your health. Because we didn't buy it. At the same time, the media has been gradually acknowledging the ongoing release of studies that totally refute and purpo the purported reasons behind these restrictions. 
Right. My point exactly. We've got continual peer-reviewed science that has continued repeatedly over especially the last six months to absolutely shatter the narrative. And then just, they just keep shuffling forward. It's, it's, it's crazy. Or like, for example, the point of which this is dramatically less than the flu, as peer-reviewed science on Science Direct has, has now shown. Nobody seems to be stepping up to going, retract that, fake news. It's just, it's just the standing current reality. And yet they just dismiss it because, well, the, the, the probably conspiracy theorists. Well, that's quite easy, isn't it? I guess you don't trust the science then. The overt reversal is falsely portrayed as learned or new evidence, right? They tried to play this with the mass conversation. Weirdly simultaneous, within 24 hours, Lena Wen went on CNN, Gottlieb went on Fox, and they both just went, mm, cloth masks don't work now. Now you wear I-95s. Oh, what's the new evidence? Oh, nothing. We just, we're just telling you now that it never worked and now make do something new. Well, of course, they frame that as, well, new evidence. Well, no, there was new. They, there's no study they pointed to. There was no new information. The reality was there since 2015 and before. I've shown you this information, showing you cloth masks, in fact, increase your risk of illness. Peer-reviewed. They know that. The point was they just sudden, suddenly went change, shift, and they pretend it's new. It's not. That's what's happening here. Little acknowledgement of error is to be found. Of course not. They're never going to go, we were wrong. You know, we, we, you, that's what I keep telling you. They're not going to stand up and go, you got us. We were wrong. They're going to give you something. They're going to create some kind of fake narrative construct to allow the people that are too cowardly to admit that they were played to grab onto something. No, you conspiracy theorist. Here's what they told me is the truth, not what your science says. The very people moments ago telling you to trust the science. Little acknowledgement of errors to be found. We have been seen no public apology for promulgating false information or for the vilification and delegitimization of policy experts and medical scientists like myself who spoke out correctly about data. That's Atlas speaking. Standard knowledge about viral infections and pandemics and fundamental biology. Right, just basic realities that at least we believe we understood or rather there was consensus before. Again, we should question everything. The point is there was not some shift in consensus. Or rather, that's exactly what happened. They just suddenly shifted for no logical reason. Suddenly, natural immunity doesn't work anymore. Suddenly, we don't need mucosal immunity, or rather, we're going to pretend we don't even know about it until three years later. I mean, it's just it's mind-blowing. The historical record is critical. We have seen a macabre Orwellian attempt to rewrite history and to blame the failure of widespread lockdowns on the lockdown's critics alongside absurd denials of officials' own incessant demands for them. In the Trump administration... Burks was formally in charge of the medical side of the White House's coronavirus task force during the pandemic's first year. In that capacity, she authored all written federal policy recommendations to governors and states and personally advised each state's health, public health officials during official visits, often with Pence and everybody else involved, Fauci and so on. Now, what I actually, let's see if I can find really quickly. Let's see if I actually have that. What I might save, guess not. But we've, we've got her admitting on the record, as we all know, that she came out and said, well, I, I, I knew that wasn't going to work. I knew that was a failure. Well, if that's the case, then why did you push it and lie about it and allow it to happen? Because she's on the record now saying that she knew this wasn't going to succeed. I mean, that, that's, I mean, that's crazy to me. I feel like that should be, that's the first person we should go after then. Like you're, you're almost so cowardly to the point to where you're going to come back around and, and admit that you lied to us now that you're no longer, I mean, that's, it's crazy. So they all were involved in the lie. We must acknowledge the abject failure of the Burke's Fauci policies. They were enacted, but they failed to stop the dying. Now, these are really government policies. 
both Biden and Trump, failed to stop the infection from spreading. Now, here are my points. Failed to stop the dying. The one thing that stands out to me, more than one million Americans' deaths have been attributed to the virus. Now, I will give them that he says have been attributed to the virus. That's, I mean, that's, you, you, can, you could argue that he's implying that it might not actually be the virus that caused it, but they're saying it was. But either way, the article seems to kind of imply that we are at this level where the virus was killing people and that it was. I mean, I think that's disputed. Not necessarily that it wasn't present, but that is a certain possibility. I often point out Denny Rancourt's research. Not to suggest that it's not possible that it existed, but rather that it didn't. And this was a conflation of pneumonia and flu and PCR tests and whatever else. That's also possible. But I think that's an interesting towing of that line to some degree. Just wanted to point that out. But it goes on to say that this is uh, that they failed, essentially. And it says even after draconian measures, including school closures, stopping of non, uh, stoppage of non-COVID medical care, business shutdowns, personal restrictions, There was an undeniable failure over two presidential administrations to stop cases from rapidly escalating. Again, I don't know that's actually what happened. You see, false PCR tests and so on. I mean, it's, you know, some of those things don't feel like they connect for me. Numerous experts, John Ioannidis, Katz himself, called for targeted protection. Great Barrington Declaration. The tragic failure of reckless, unprecedented lockdowns that were contrary to established pandemic science. That's important. That's what I said. In the beginning, because that was the truth. And you could call, you dummy, you don't know what you're talking about, all these sudden armchair experts on Twitter. Well, yeah, that was the reality, and it still is. They knew that it didn't work before this. Now we seemingly know, but don't know now again. (laughs) And the added massive harms of those policies on children, the elderly, lower-income families, everything destroyed the country. This was the biggest, most tragic, and most unethical breakdown of public health leadership in modern history. I would argue second to the injection. That seems to be left out of this, which I think is interesting. In a democracy, the injection being deadly, dangerous, the last thing somebody should be even standing next to. In a democracy, he says, which is not what we are living in, indeed, in any ethical and free society, the truth is essential. People need to hear the truth. He says those lies harm the public. Basically, he says the first step to clearly state the harsh truth in the starkest possible terms. We need to understand what's happening. Lies were told. Those lies harm the public. Those lies were directly contrary to the evidence to decades of knowledge on viral pandemics, to long-established fundamental biology. Again, even if you disagree that those things are the truth, the point is they had been established. And for some reason, the moment this started, all these people that have done their entire careers with establishing these things suddenly went a new direction. And even if both those directions are lies, the point is it's very important to point out to the average person that they just decided to go with something new because they were led that way by people that were lying. Here are the 10 biggest falsehoods, according to Atlas, known for years to be false. I agree. Not recently learned or proven to be so, but promoted by America's public health leaders, elected and unelected officials, but are now discredited or and now discredited to academics. And these points are false. That SARS-CoV-2, assuming it was there, was higher than the flu. It's not. That's what we were just talking about. According to the evidence, we can see observational review as well as peer-reviewed here. We can find it's pretty clear it was not. The peer-reviewed study around this finds the COVID-19 risk infection fatality rate at a global level. Pre-vaccination infection fatality rate was as low as 0.03 and 0.07 under 69. I mean, mean, just, just the average infection fatality rate for under 19 
0.0003. And yet we're they are forcing these things on under 19, giving them risk of all the things we're seeing with very little, if any, actual stated benefit even. And yet that's the risk. Painful. Number two, everyone is at significant risk to die from this virus. That's not true. Never was true. No one has any immunological protection because the virus is completely new. No, that was, again, I've proven that very early. There was a Science Direct article. There was a, a Nature article, all of which we're finding. Let me see if I can actually pull one of them up. Let's see. No, that doesn't look like it. In any case, as I haven't looked at it, I haven't looked for it in a while. But the point was that we have numerous articles that came out really early in this that found pre-existing antibody. Maybe that'll be a way to find it. There we go. Yeah, found one. Okay. This is one of the important ones, actually. There's two of them that I found. I'll just show you this one. This one is on 2021, March 15th. A majority of uninfected adults, when tested, showed pre-existing antibody reactivity. The other one was a study previously, and the point was they studied for, basically they tested all these people to find a certain outcome, and in the process found out the controls also had antibodies. <laughs> and they just were like, they, they argued it must have been from SARS or the common cold. Or they're, they're theorizing. The bottom line is, multiple examples show that average people, before they ever got in, infected or come into contact with this, if it's even there, already had antibody reactivity. And yet they nonetheless ignored all this data and forced everybody in the direction of these dangerous injections, which actually removed any antibodies they might have had. And that's the point. They did have that, and that's proven to be false. Number four, asymptomatic people are major drivers of the spread. Fake news, verifiably so. Lockdown, number five, closing schools and businesses, confining people to their homes will stop or eliminate the virus. Fake news. Made it all much, much worse. Mass will protect everyone and stop the spread. Not true. Remember, he's saying every one of these are false, and I've proven these. The virus is known to be naturally occurring, and claiming it originated in a lab is a conspiracy theory. Now, again, you could dispute this, but seemingly the argument is right now that that's the, now we're leaning toward the lab leak. It's, none of this is a leak or an accident. Whatever, whatever ultimately happened. Teachers are at especially high risk. Interesting. He's claiming that's fake, and I agree. I don't understand why any of this is more concerning than anything we've ever dealt with in the past. COVID vaccines stop the spread of the infection. Obviously not. Immune protection only comes from a vaccine. Fake news. All of it. He says, none of us are so naive as to expect a direct apology from critics of uh, from you know his employer, Stanford University, or the government, or anybody else. But to ensure this never happens again, government leaders, power-driven officials, and influential academics and advisors often harboring conflicts of interest must be held accountable, both uh, in their careers as well as criminally. Because firing people, it's just not enough. He says, personally, he remains highly skeptical that any government investigation will not be politicized. But he just argues we need to go through it anyway. I agree. I agree. Hopefully some truth will come out of it. But the bottom line is it's pretty obvious that they go out of their way to make sure it just never goes anywhere. Now, here's an example of how they're going to play this going forward. Study finds some parents lied about their children's COVID status. Now, just quickly to sum this up, the bottom line of this finding is essentially insinuating that here is why it didn't work. Right? So he's over here telling you, we can prove lockdowns didn't work. Well, here's a new study. Guess what the study found? They didn't work because parents lied about doing it. If they would have done it for real, it would have worked. 
So it's all those anti-vaxxer parents yet again. So something you can barely begin to even try to prove. It's all subjective and reported and, and you know, polls and studies. Who cares, though? They love their observational cherry pick studies to say whatever they want to say. While we point at peer-reviewed science and get called conspiracy theorists, the bottom line is they failed because they're failed policies, not because parents lied about it. I just think it's pathetic how they're trying to reach here. And this was the study about the infection fatality rate. Here is an, a really alarming clip. You know, three points to finish up here today. From Dr. Peter McCullough an alarming step in a very dangerous direction about whether or not this is going to get passed down to children. Here's what he has to say. There's been a paper published from Malmo, Sweden, senior author is Yang D. Marinus, that showed that the genetic code for Pfizer gets installed into the human nucleus of a hepatoma cell line uh, very rapidly within a few hours and experts believe the entire code is actually installed into the human genome. This paper has not been challenged by any other lab. Uh, we're looking for confirmation, but this is disturbing now. Uh, since the messenger RNA for Pfizer, in a study done by Stanford, uh, by Rolkin and colleagues, is permanently in the lymph nodes, uh, at least as far as they've looked for several months now. So the genetic code, once people take these vaccines, is long-lasting. It may indeed get into the nucleus, change the human genome, and then pass down to daughter cells, that means uh, th that this could actually be passed down to the progeny of vaccinated young parents. Uh, there couldn't be worse news right now. We are hoping this vaccine would be in and out of the body. It looks like it's long-lasting, causing, causing a tremendous amount of damage. Man, oh, man. So now, now the concern here is obviously that this is going to pass down, right? Not only is this potentially shedding both spike and mRNA, but is clearly potentially being passed down to children. I mean, it's just like, this is a generational problem. And, it be, and every time this continues, every time these conversations go forward, we, I, I continue to want to ask the question about whether this was exactly the plan, right? Is this about some kind of generational thing? I mean, we just should not be afraid to ask these questions, right? Now, here, here is the study that he points at. And I think this is really important. It's one of them anyway. Intracellular reverse transcription of Pfizer Biotech COVID-19 mRNA vaccine. Now, th this th the interesting part here. Make sure I don't have this backward. Right. I thought I had a fact check in here somewhere, but maybe I'm missing that. Oh, well. Well, the point was in one of these, this is the study he mentions, the, the, the Moranis one. This is published February 25th, 2022. And they're trying to act like this is fake news. Right, the idea that this somehow crosses over into your genome, right? They're arguing it's it's fake. It's a you know fact check and so on. But you can read this. Oh, that's what it was. I'm 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 glad I didn't. I sh I should have. Oh, that's crazy. It's gone now. That's why I missed it. Hold on, let me refresh this. What you're gonna find? What you what was there? God, I should have taken a picture of that. So okay, there there was a fact check beneath this this tweet, which continues to show you that this is not you know Elon Musk saving free speech kind of thing. Ultimately, you're fact checking the same things from before. Apparently, they're just selectively removing them from the ones that get too much attention which was that this is not real. They, they fact-checked what he said and said that, nope, you know, studies show that they, it does not translate into your genome or that the study authors say it's not true. Dang it, I wish I were taking a picture of that. In any case, you've seen them. They pop up beneath the tweets and they say, here's what really happened, you know? And just what I wanted to show you was, here's the study he mentions. And it says very clearly, studies showed, I've already read this before, 
that SARS-CoV-2 RNA can be reverse, reverse transcribed and integrated into the genome of human cells. It says, our results indicate a fast uptake of specifically BNT162B2, which is Pfizer, into human liver cell line HUH7, leading to changes in line one expression and distribution. We also show that Pfizer's injection is reverse transcribed intracellularly into DNA in a, as fast as six hours upon exposure to injection. Right. But I God, just, it, it would be much better a point if it still had that there. I guess, you know, it doesn't show it now, but after you guys know what we're talking about. And I, you know, take my word for it or don't. It was there before. The bottom line is we already know that they fact check this stuff and say that's not true. But on another note, same kind of thing. ICANN has an important report from March 6th. Oh, this was also, oh, it's not that long. Lost the, the highlighting. It says this is ICANN's attorneys to uncover early Pfizer vaccine study revealing alarming systemic reactions in rats. Now, we've already have many examples of this in regard to the pregnancy stuff, but here's another example. A 2,237-page report from June 2020 from Pfizer. You'd think that this wouldn't be damning, right? From 2020, well, it couldn't be that crazy. Well, no, because we already know that they've already downplayed their own phase three data for both Moderna and Pfizer. Not just one of them, but both of them. This is a coordinated effort, guys. Here's what it says. The study looked at the toxicity of Pfizer's vaccine using four different doses, one of which they eventually used for the emergency use authorization for Pfizer, and it involved 255 rats and 36 control, or rather 219 injection, 36 control, 255 total, for a test period of 10 to 17 days, with three additional weeks for the animals scheduled for the recovery period. Now, as I said, you'd imagine that that if, since they were approved, or rather emergency authorized, that they would they didn't experience any problems, right? Well, Pfizer claims in the report that the rats tolerated the vaccines, quote, without evidence of systemic toxicity. Its detailed findings indicate that it was anything but the truth. Again, their own report proves they lied about the findings. As the following issues, a major or the following uh, as the following issues in major organs groups were observed. In these rats, they said were fine. They had enlarged spleens, enlarged adrenal glands, enlarged lymph nodes, kidney and liver congestion, and increased fi uh, fibrinogen concentrations. Fibrinogen. All of these issues clearly show effects beyond the injection site. Of particular concern is the increased fibrinogen concentration. Fibrinogen is made in your liver and helps your blood clot. Increased fibrinogen... fibrinogen fibrinogen is associated with blood clotting, heart disease, blood vessel dysfunction, and strokes. Sounds like that's aligning with what we're seeing, isn't it? These issues were also seen with the dose level that was eventually licensed. Now, what's interesting to me, I offered this up early in the beginning, because remember, we've seen examples of myocarditis, blood, these kind of side effects of previous coronavirus injections. So I asked the question early on about this when we saw certain things that were added is, was this potential, just something to think about, was this designed in order to try to counteract the thing that they already knew was going to be a problem and only turned out to cause worse problems in some cases? I had something just to ask. With regard to deaths, the report indicated that, quote, no test item related death were noted for any treatment and that, quote, no premature deaths occurred and no premature sacrifice was necessary seems reassuring as they say right it only took slightly closer reading to actually discover you know the truth that two rats did die during the study 
about 1% of the people, the rats injected. But predictably, the Pfizer-paid researchers, despite being unable to determine a clear cause of death, simply assumed that the deaths weren't caused by the injection, but rather the stress from being injected, like the drawing of the blood. Like, assumption. Is that how we keep people safe? This is despite the fact that one of the dead rats, you know, had enlarged spleen, adrenal glands, and lymph nodes. Total coincidence, though. Just Pfizer would one they, they'll tell you all day long. Given the short six-week study duration, it's not possible for the researchers to have ascertained the long-term effects of the vaccine. Nevertheless, throughout the report, they conclude that all adverse effects experienced by the rats were somehow magically reversed or resolved in the time they weren't there to see it. Because they know, because they're experts. We're lied to, guys. I mean, it's never been more clear, ever. And as Aaron Siri points out, British Medical Journal asked the question, the U.S. government invested, or posed, points out, the U.S. government invested at least $31.9 billion to develop, produce, and purchase mRNA COVID injections. That's your money that you're then being hurt by and paying for a second dime. The government, as Aaron Siri points out, shouldn't, should be regulating these companies, not developing, producing, and purchasing their products. The point is the government and these agencies supposed to regulate them act like they're salesmen. We all see it, and it's broken. In fact, it's not it's the design, but we're realizing it never worked the way we were told it was, I think. But the proof is the point is this is examples of exactly that. That they're pushing this even at this stage. Here's the Miami Herald. March 7th, get this. You're not gonna believe this. COVID vaccine may lower your risk of heart attack. Stroke infection. Study finds. March 7th. That's actually what they said on March 7th. You know, the thing that we're proving is dramatically one in 800 in regard to, or rather, yeah, one in 800 in regard to serious adverse events. 36% higher risk of serious adverse events in the Pfizer arm compared to not even taking it, but totally lowers your risk of the things that it's increasing, lowering the risk of the things it's causing everywhere you look. I mean, this is just obscene. And you know what? When you actually read the study, you'll find exactly why. I'm, I'm not going to get into it today. This was an add-on at the end, but the bottom line is it's just a manipulation as all of these things are. And the sad reality is that, I mean, even ask this question. It's interesting. They're talking about heart attacks, strokes, right? What, what, what about the fact that maybe they went back and said, hey, well, let's, let's increase the fibrinogen <laughs> to stop those problems. And it's adding even more problems. I mean, just the interesting part about this is it's obvious that this is not honest. If you have something that's been proven to, a, in like, obscene levels cause, potentially cause myocarditis, you can't then just have a study that argues it lowers the same thing. I mean, it just, it doesn't make, it, the bottom line is you're either omitting some kind of information or something is inaccurate. And I think what we're finding is that their own data that they've been hiding and manipulating and altering is just conflating or contradicting everything. These data points don't even add up anymore because they've lied about everything. And that's kind of what we're They can jumble these things together and roll out the dice and just make it what they want. Hey, guess what? Now they save your life. Now they make you live forever. We've, we've actually seen these arguments. And it's also being made about flu. Messages about cardiovascular benefits of flu vaccination. The bottom line is basically going, flu is super dangerous and flu causes myocarditis and flu causes heart attack. So get your injection. It's just the same game. They're just trying to warp you into doing what they want you to do. And my God, has there ever been a time where we should be running more than now from what they tell you to do? Really just ask questions, guys. I'm not your doctor. 
You make up your own mind based on your own due diligence. That's what any honest adult would do. But to blindly follow a government who has been shown to so blatantly lie and so so obviously not care about your best interest is just asking for disaster. Thank you for tuning in today. These things are just increasingly important every single day. And the amount of information that's just flowing over the top that's really important is it's it's just insurmountable. I mean, at this point, every day, as we've been saying, it's just trying to decide what we're not going to get into. So hopefully you can get this in front of other people. Hopefully you can wake some people up to the reality. Thank you for being here, guys. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant.